some people have a hard time explaining rock and roll. Really explain rock and roll. Maybe Pete Townsend. But that's okay. Rock and roll is a lifestyle and a way of thinking. And it's not about money and popularity, although some money would be nice. But it's a voice that says, here I am, and f*** you if you can't understand me. And one of these people is going to save the world. And that means that rock and roll can save the world, all of us together. And the chicks are great. But what it all comes down to is that thing. The indefinable thing when people catch something from your music. What I'm talking about is... Wait, what am I talking about? The buzz. The buzz. And the chicks, the whatever, is an offshoot of the buzz. Like you saying you like fever dog. That is the buzz. All right, let's pray. God of rock, thank you for this chance to kick ass. We are your humble servants. Please give us the power to blow people's minds with our high voltage rock. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now let's get out there and melt some faces. Seven minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and it's the month of September in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the lushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Can you lower my mic ever so slightly? Thank you very much. It is uh, Friday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. You want to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, kibitches, kibitches, two cents, limericks, ruminations on the occupation of the man from Nantucket and how he spent his leisure or leisure time. It is 503-733-2970. And I swear to God, the door just opened, and an Asian man came in the studio bringing Sarah Dillon a bowl of noodles. There you go. Not chilly. Bam! Oh, is it chilly? Yes. Right. God, I love Richie so much. Richie's just the strangest confluence of influences and cultures. You know what I mean? Nobody quite like Richie Bristol. Uh, if you want to get on board today, Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, able, and only quasi-intoxicated. Uh, he is there to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. If you're keeping track of Richie's outfits playing the Richie Bristol home game, uh, today as though he, uh, he looks as though he's about to... He looks like he's about to go ready to play, like he's going to go play pickup basketball somewhere. Like he's headed down to, he's headed down to like hoop it up somewhere in Southeast. So there you go. Uh, if you want to email, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah with an H at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. By the way, fans of Musicology, which airs Sunday night, 7 to 9, right here on this very fine radio station, will note that 
Timmy Ryan is actually the only person here at the station who has as his email address his full name. Because everybody else is like uh, Kristen at 970.am and Adam at 970.am, Sarah at 970.am. Tim Riley is Tim at 970.am. And I went out of my way to not make his email address Timmy at 970.am. Thank you. Because then it seemed like there was going to be all kinds of things meant for Timmy Ryan ending up in Tim Riley's email box. And Ryan, that's... Ryan came in this morning, actually, and asked Tim Riley um, when, what time his band was going to play next Friday. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> he was already... I mean, do you remember that time where there was well, like three different Tims and two different Sarahs on the station? Yes. So, anyway. So, I, I feel like you... My gut sense is you probably want to spend your time sorting through Timmy Ryan's email. No. That would just be awkward. and That would be bad. Probably horrifying. All right. Uh, speaking of bands, so today is Rockfest, lucky number 13. Uh, gates open today at 2 o'clock. Show starts at 3. A uh, whole bunch of music going on out there too, uh, today. That is uh, RLS, Royal Bliss, My New Vice, Floater Rehab, Five Finger Death Punch, Atrey, you and, of course, uh, tonight the headlining act, Kid Rock. Kids. Uh, so that is today. Find out more at KUFO.com. All right, coming up today on this radio program, senior radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins uh, will join us from the Hill. We'll talk to senior radio correspondent James Roof. Well, let me back up for a second. Uh, so we're going to talk to Lisa Desjardins. I mean, I guess she's talking about that oil thing, which is moderately interesting to me because I guess everybody was... I, I don't know. I guess they were, somebody was paying off somebody else. With not only the expected buckets full of cash, but also bags full of cocaine and, I don't know, something else full of full of humping. That really kind of fell apart at the end. It's like a murder of crows. I don't know. It's a bag full of cocaine and a something full of sex. I don't know what that would be. Hey, somebody needs to come up with a, you know how there's like a pride of lions, a murder of crows, a gaggle of geese? Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to come up with one of those for zombies. What would the collective term for zombies be? Uh, you can begin emailing or calling about that now if you like. Uh, what would the collective term be? The whole group of zombies. So we got gaggle of geese, school of fish, uh, pride of lions, murder of crows. What would you? What would a collective term be for zombies? Begin thinking about that now, won't you, please? All right. It's uh, anyway. So we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins about this oil thing, but also because so I watched uh, I watched Sarah Palin's thing with John Gibson. Was that the guy, the the ABC News guy? No, no. It was uh, Charlie, Charlie Gibson. Gibson. All right, Charles Charlie, Charles Gibson. Uh, so I saw his thing with uh, with Sarah Palin. I got to tell you, she's really, really good in giving, and I and I mean this as an actual compliment. When it comes to rehearsed answers, prepared speeches, uh, sort of well organized responses to stuff, she's great on that. Way better than McCain is. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is really a, that's a bottom heavy ticket right oh, now. Oh yeah, there was another McCain interview, and it was like wishy washy, spliced together answers. Was this the one from Rhode Island or someplace back east? It was like a it was nine. The one yesterday, the, the same one that Barack Obama was involved. In. Uh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about now, but there was a. It was, it was extremely boring. I saw some interview with McCain. It was like an eight-minute thing that he did with some backwater station. Uh, I don't know. Often, often, some some backwoods television station like in it was like in Delaware or something. And McCain was just man. It was like watching somebody interview a, a vat of boiled cabbage. I mean, just a whole lot of nothing going on there. The best part though was when he said a. Sarah Palin is the smartest person in the entire country in terms of energy, and that she has uh, she has foreign affairs experience because you can see Russia from Alaska. You can, you can't if you you go out to Little Diomede Island. It's wonderful. You know, as you know, she has foreign. She said that. He yeah. has she has foreign affairs experience because in Alaska, you know, you can you can see Russia from there. You can also see Canada, by the way. You can also see, uh, I think you can also see the continental United States, maybe. No, I guess not. 
Is that on the other side of Canada? No, no you can't see the U.S. from Alaska. Or whatever. In any event, um, so we'll talk to her about that. By the way, I did see a great T-shirt yesterday. Somebody, uh, somebody has already beaten me to the punch on creating this. Somebody has created a McCain and Palin shirt, and it, and it's like for a movie trailer or for a TV show. You know, it's like coming this fall to the WB. Blah blah blah. Homeboys in outer space. They've created one for an upcoming fictitious TV show, and it's coming soon. You know, coming this fall. Lipstick and the pig. It's sort of like a Turner and Hooch kind of a thing. Uh, we'll talk to uh, to Lisa about that. We'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum uh, today because both the candidates uh, were in New York City on Thursday. Uh, we'll talk to James Roop in Los Angeles about the start of the O.J. Simpson trial. Uh, Scott Daly will be here from FilmFeverRadio.com. Uh, we will have, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Geek Watch coming up today. Penis Watch coming up today. Glorious Bastard of the Week uh, and all that. So it's all in the way. It's 503 733 970-503-733-2970. Uh, without further ado, we're going to take a moment to talk to our good friend and yours, ladies and gentlemen. Let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from the National Enquirer, the one and only Dorothy Carcassari joining us at the top of the program. Dorothy, how are you today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. I know you were on a plane yesterday or getting on a plane or getting off a plane. You had a bit of a day. I did have a bit of a day. You're right. <laughs> you guys are. Re- I have to say, you guys are really. Uh, there must be no sleep and a whole lot of coffee at the Inquirer headquarters right now because you guys are really on a roll. Yes, yes. There's definitely no sleep and a lot of coffee. We have reporters working around the clock in Alaska on the Sarah Palin story, and of course, you know, on all the other stories that we have in the magazine. And so, just uh, we we talked a little bit about this yesterday. And so, uh, I never know. It seems like these are this is just stuff that sort of unfolds by the minute, by the hour, by the by the second. So, when we last left the Palin family, and I almost feel like we need to have some, we need to get some sort of an HD channel or some sort of a supplemental satellite channel that is just now solely for breaking Sarah Palin news. But uh, so the, the the latest thing is this this oldest kid of hers, who I, I, Track, I think is his name. Uh, the word is that he was hooked on OxyContin for two years. Is, am, I, am I right about that? You got it. You got it. Exactly. That's what our sources are, are telling us, that he was a big drug user. Um, he was t- taking OxyContin in all sorts of ways, um, you know, ingesting it, um, injecting it. Uh, it it's really a pretty bad situation. And, then, and if two years, he's 19 now. That means he was a minor uh, when he started. And it doesn't seem like that's a thing they just sort of hand out willy-nilly at the doctor's office. You have to go through a whole bunch of hurdles. So we would. Uh, uh, so how do I ask this? Uh, so then is the, is the implication there that he was uh, not only using OxyContin for a couple of years, but that he was using it in violation of the law? Yes. Uh, uh, it wasn't, he wasn't using it for for painkillers or anything like that. Which, uh, you know, yeah, and you know OxyContin is, is a very, unfortunately, a very popular recreational drug uh, among teens. It's become a very big problem in the country. And I, and this, uh, and so, and this is the thing that Rush Limbaugh was talking about. Wasn't that the thing that Rush Limbaugh took? It was OxyContin, the little, the little blue wonders or whatever it is he called them? Yes. All right. I think so, yeah. Uh, so, so that's coming, has, and of course, is the, uh, you know, you, then you got to ask when this comes out, have the Palin people or the McCain folks made any response to that yet? No, there's no response on their end. Uh, uh, the other part of that story that unfolded was that Bristol Palin, I guess when she revealed to Sarah Palin that she was with child, uh, that uh, Sarah Palin uh, responded as only a loving mother can by kicking her out of the house and making her move 25 miles away. 
That's what sources are saying. Yes, you're correct. Uh, you know, it's just uh, that whole family is like one big Tennessee Williams play. There's just uh, something, something very. There's something really weird in the water up there. Um, so the new issue is out today. Uh, I know you got a busy schedule today. What else uh, is out in today's edition of the Inquirer that people ought to keep their eyes peeled for? Well, we have a lot of great stories. Uh, one of which would be there was a big fight on the View between Barbara Walters and Elizabeth Hasselbeck over. Who else is making headlines but Sarah Palin? Fantastic. Uh, apparently, Barbara told Elizabeth off uh, backstage saying, you know, if you can't express your opinions in a mild manner, then you might want to consider a new line of work. Excellent. That's wonderful. I got to tell you, I wouldn't, you know, Barbara Walters, uh, you know, she may be getting up there in years, but uh, I think she'd kill you. I think she's uh, she does seem like a woman of considerable steel and reserve. Oh, you don't mess with Barbara. No, no. And it, really, if I were Elizabeth Hasselbeck at this point, and I thank my stars that I am not for any number of reasons, I would be getting down and kissing the ground every day that I managed to trip and fall into that gig. It seems like you would not be going out of way to burn any bridges right now if you're her. No, I mean, she's definitely a very opinionated person, and that's what's part, that makes the show interesting, you know, these strong opinions. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think Barbara's just trying to create an environment where people can express them, but not you know, in, in, a, in a mean, kind of heated way. I think there ought to be some sort of Big Brother uh, knockoff, except it's really not seven people. It's just Rosie O'Donnell and Elizabeth Hasselbeck putting a room together. <laughs> but but the thing is, they're in a room together, the doors are locked, there are no windows, and then there's just like one medium-sized Tupperware container of food in the middle of the room. And then you just turn on the cameras, and, you know, whoever gets, whoever's whoever's there at the end of a week gets to, uh, you know, gets to walk back out. So. You would, you would be a good host for that show, actually. Yeah, right? that's what I do. Uh, all right, as, as we sort of wrap this up, thanks again for making some time. Anything else uh, that you want to uh, tease for the new issue that hits stands today? Well, we also have kind of the details behind why Chris Kattan's marriage of eight weeks exploded. You know Chris Kattan from Saturday Night Live? Absolutely. Got married eight weeks later, is not married anymore. Uh, that's definitely a story that you should check out. All right, fantastic. The new issue is on stand today. We will talk to you next week. As always, thank you for making time and your very busy schedule. Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer. Thank you, Dorothy. Have a good weekend. Thanks, guys. You too. All right, there you go. Dorothy Carcassari, kids for the National Enquirer. Excellent. I can start the show with a pow there. Wonderful. Excellent. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Lots more to come today. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Friday. Texans are told to get out or face certain death from Hurricane Ike. A speeding car slams into an estacated church, burst into flames, killing the driver, setting the church on fire. The Oregon Zoo has announced the name of the new baby elephant. It's really stupid. Thousands of chickens are stranded by the side of the road in Woodburn after their driver is found to be unlicensed. A suspected drunk driver rear ends aggression police cruiser. Howard Dean will be at Lewis and Clark for an hour starting at 1 o'clock this afternoon to sign up voters. We should go by and offer him $500 to scream. Yeah. We should know, seriously. Uh, he's, so he's at Lewis and Clark when? He's there at 1 o'clock. He'll be there Today? <laughs> I mean, what is the... Hey. Maybe we can get a listener to go down there and get Howard Dean on the phone. I would offer, here's the thing, if we can get Howard Dean on the phone, I would like to see how much money I would have to offer. And keep in mind, you know, in terms of political contribution, I don't, I don't give any money to anybody. I don't, I don't contribute to any politician ever, at all, under any circumstances. I don't give any amount, I mean, really, unless it's in the form of taxes, and unless they're just coming to my house and just putting the screws to me right through my paycheck, I go out of my way to make sure that I don't ever voluntarily give one red cent to any politician of any stripe from any party. F them. They can get their own money. But that being said, I would probably uh, I would probably change my ways at least once. I'd like to see how much money I'd have to offer to give the DNC for Howard Dean to recreate his scream on the phone with us. 
That's worthwhile, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And it'll be funny. Yes. All right. I wonder if how. I wonder we... if it's too soon for him though. Uh, it's, it's, ne- it's always going to be too soon. I There's know. never going to be a good time for that. But you know what? But those guys see that. I have to tell you, just in the election cycle, the last 72 hours, the way the news has rolled, uh, I'm not going to say the Democrats see it slipping away, but I think the Democrats see their. Uh, I think they see their finger hold on the momentum in this campaign going down the drain. So I'd like to see exactly how much I would have to offer to kick up the, the Democratic coffers for Howard Dean to go, you know, on the phone. All right, we'll see if we can do that. And uh, then, uh, DC Comics is asking stores to destroy tens of thousands of copies of the new Batman comic book that's full of obscenities. And one of our favorite, famous Ellie Anchorman has passed away. All right, we will have a snuff watch on that later on. Penis watch coming up today. Uh, geek watch coming up today. Glorious bastard of the week and all that. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello. Hello. You look nice today. Oh, thanks. I'm getting, I'm, I took the bus to work today because my friend's picking me up right after, and we're going to Rockfest. Go to Rockfest. Rockfest. Uh, Rockfest, uh, gates open at 2. Uh, show begins at, uh, 3 o'clock today, so I'm trying to find out more. Hey, you it's, pretty, it's a pretty quick drive. Like it? an hour. An hour? Isn't it an hour? Where, I thought it was like a half an hour. No, it's longer than that. No, because it's, it's half like... half an hour just to get to Savi Island. No, because it's way past Savi Island. It's like Vescopus, St. Helens. Yeah, it's, uh... Yeah, no, it's yeah. I'd, I'd set aside an hour, and depending on when you're going, it's Friday, and it's going to be kind of rush hourry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would set aside uh, more time rather than less time. Okay. Well, yeah, my friend Jessica's coming at like I don't know, two forty-five ish. Excellent. For the end of the show, I'm gonna cool. be stuck in traffic for a while. Yeah. And then we're gonna see Kid Rock and my new vice and stuff. I'm really excited. Yeah. No, it's got no. I'm uh, I am there, as the young people say. It's gonna I was be a good out time. last night randomly and met um, one of Kid Rock's uh, guitar techs. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. It was very strange. Yeah. It was a very small town. I, uh, all I'll say is this. This is the only thing I'll say. That I was uh, having some speech this morning with folks around the station, and apparently, I mean, no, I guess to no big surprise, but anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Uh, so apparently, uh, the, the, the Rockfest, the whole spec, the whole, the whole show, the whole day, is uh, is going to be a big over the top spectacle. But I guess Kid Rock is really, um, I guess he's going all out. Apparently, it's. Uh, Apparently it's gonna it's gonna be the eighth wonder of the world tonight. So really? and of course Reverend Run is gonna be there, which is like the best thing in the history of things. So it's all very. Can we exciting. talk about who the other person's gonna be? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. You, you know, to be fair, I'm a, I guess I'm a bad I guess I'm a bad CBS employee because I don't know if that other thing is public knowledge or not. If it's I think part. it is, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either because well, I haven't heard anyone really talk about it on the air. But there's very special guests. Well, I don't know if I should say. And you know what? It, here's the thing. If it is let's public knowledge... Let's just say it's a celebrity. We have a lot of crossover with KUFO. If that other thing is public knowledge, somebody already knows what I'm talking about, and they'll they'll call up or that you mustn't let us know. So anyway, so that's coming up uh, this afternoon. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? We'll get some calls here in a second. Don't forget, we are looking for the collective term for a group of zombies uh, during today's radio program. And because I know you care, even though you forgot about it and never bothered to ask, you bastards, yes, my dental appointment was... Fantastic yesterday. I was worried about it all night long. Thanks. Oh, so what happened? I, you know, here's what happened, Tim. I went first of all. Isn't it interesting that when you go to the dentist or the doctor or to you know the mental health profession, anybody who's going to tell you about the state of your own being and your relative health, you are always so much more willing to believe good news than bad. Because what happens when I go, look, I. Uh, we're just going to have to cut the whole thing off. And what do you mean to that? I want a second opinion. I, you're a quack. And then, and then you begin saying things like, you know what? This is just, you're in bed with the pharmaceutical industry. I don't believe anything you're saying. You, this is a conspiracy. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, you know, Jack Herrera was right. 
So as soon as they give you bad news, you immediately figure that they got their degree in the Virgin Islands, uh, you know, or out of a box of Cracker Jacks, and that they ought to, you know, and that they're just some sawbones that ought to have their license taken away. They give you good news. What do you immediately say? You come back to your friends. You go, man, that doctor, he's a real straight shooter. Uh, he, uh, you know, he just, uh, I went in and uh, he just told me the deal and everything was good and clear. And I, you know, I felt really good about him. It seems like, uh, no, I'd recommend no really. I mean, are you going, do you have, cause, I mean, I don't know if you have an appointment or anything. No, if you do, yeah, no, he's, I'll give you his number. He's great. I mean, he really, really treated me right. And what does that mean? That means the doctor told you what you were hoping to hear. So I went to this alleged dentist a couple few, a couple, as my dad would say, a couple few months ago. Um, and, um, you know, I sat there in the chair, and he had a limited grasp of the English language, and he was, uh, you know, he was jamming things into my mouth, poking and prodding and saying things like, oh, there are a whole lot of blood. When you last go to dentist? Uh, it so was, anyway. That's, that's <laughs> where the water was falling into my eye yeah, when I was getting my teeth cleaned. Dripping into your eye. There was it, water dripping out of an electrical fixture that yeah. was on. No, <laughs> you're, on my, <laughs> no, you're close enough. I will I will say that it was uh I will say that it was well, in, I've never been there, so bring you references. Oh you have to go, it's quite No, yeah. I will say that it was quite a hike from here. Uh, it wasn't there, but Hold it was on. quite a hike from here. But yeah, I'm sitting there and yeah, your home life like open sewer. I I just cut off head and nuke you from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Uh, and I'm sitting there just going, Jesus God, what is happening? And I keep I keep waiting for the guy to start drilling in. Is it safe? You tell me. Is it safe? Uh, so I, I just kind of decided, well, screw this. And I it was so traumatized by the whole thing. And at one point, I swear to God, this dentist I went to a few months ago, I do have this recollection of him actually like bracing his knee against my chest as he's trying to like jam a thing between my gums and my teeth. It's a W.C. Fields movie. Seriously. Like, I'm sorry? Yeah. Uh, my key. Uh, do you need to move my car? Uh, you go into my office, my keys are on the coffee table on top of the copy of Gothic Beauty. Has uh, Richie ever moved your car before? No. Do you trust him? No. It's too <laughs> late now. Uh, in any event. So it's like that guy was just jamming something into my mouth and, you know, all right, it, this isn't going to hurt, is it? Oh, no, it hurt like hell. People hear you scream three county over. Chew uh, on this rag. <laughs> Seriously. So I, uh, I give you a leather strap for pain. So I, I just didn't go back because I didn't feel all that good about it. So I go to the dentist yesterday, and I won't identify. I don't want it to sound like a plug, uh, so I won't identify the, the dentist. But I will say, it was, and this is maybe because I am uh, not only in America but a certain kind of American and raised in a certain slice of the American suburbs. That you know what made me feel really good about the dentist yesterday is that you go in and it's like an assembly line. I mean, it was just lots of fluorescent lighting and that particular kind of gray carpet they have in a lot of offices where it's gray with little tiny threads of pink and blue in the carpet. It hides the blood. <laughs> but it seems sort of it seems sort of professional and upscale but soothing at the same time. It seems very capitalist. Uh, and there was just a whole row of dental places. I didn't hear anybody yelling or screaming. There was Van Halen on the Muzak, so I felt good about that. Anyway, so I go in and I uh, and I sit down. And I will say this about the dentist: he looked and talked exactly like Burt Reynolds as Jack Horner in Boogie Nights. I mean, he was it was distractingly uh, the case that he looked like Jack Horner, and he talked just like Jack Horner. Uh, specifically, like if you've seen Boogie Nights recently, that scene where Jack Horner is sitting with uh, with uh, Mark Wahlberg, and they're sitting in the coffee shop, uh, and Julianne Moore and Heather Grammer there, and 
uh, Jack Horner's doing the thing about, eh, you see these movies, I mean, I've made it myself, it's a few laughs, everybody uh, Fs their brains out, and, you know, everybody has a good time, but I... I want to make a different kind of movie. That speech, that's exactly how my dentist talked, and he looked just like him. It was so weird. I kept I mean, I kept waiting for him to, to, you know, to ask me to take my pants off so he could measure me. It was all very awkward. Um, anyway, but, you know, but, but, but the upshot is, he told me that my teeth are, quote, exceptional. And he said that I have, uh, he said I have wonderful lineage, too. He said, your ancestors did a great job with their teeth. And then I said, well, I'll thank my parents for that. And he goes, no, 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 I'm not talking about your parents. I'm talking about Paleolithic Rick. So I guess my ancestors from generations past really took care of their teeth, and it's paid off for me. Uh, so that, and plus I grew up under you the... You've been talking about your teeth for 25 minutes. I'm just right? saying, it's a relatable thing. Everybody goes to the dentist. And I grew up under the government conspiracy of fluoride, which helped me as well. So it was, uh, you know, so my teeth are fine. Even having not gone to the dentist for over a decade... And I told him that, I'm like, flat out, I'm like, you know what, except for one kind of bad quasi-visit, I haven't gone to the dentist in, like, 15 years, because I just never had any health insurance. I it's expensive, too. I went when I didn't have insurance. Dude, I, yeah. I mean, he asked me, well, why is that? And I said, you know what, I didn't have insurance, and I didn't have any money. And I, and he said, well, why now? And I said, I have insurance, and I don't know when it's going to get taken away again, so I'm going to use every single cent of my insurance while I've got it. And, and he said, well, that's a solid way to go. He sounded like Bruce Williams. That's a good, that's a good way to look at things, Rick. So, um, yeah, my teeth are great. Uh, i got to get one tiny filling, but other than that, I'm, uh, he goes, he, what did he, he goes, he goes, these are really in good shape for having been neglected for a decade. So, it was, uh, it was good. So, I feel good about it. What, and there's no kind of relief like dental relief. You know what I mean? Like if a guy comes back and he goes, uh, the tumor's benign. Or if he says... The test is negative. Or if he says, we found your car keys. Or if they say, we found your credit card. Or if they say, hey, your teeth look fine. We don't really have to do anything. Man, that's like the biggest exhalation of relief when that happens. Let's get one call about what to call a, uh, a horde of zombies. And uh, then we'll uh, come back and get the others on the other side. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, I came up with my first thought was a jackal. A jackal of zombies? And the other one was a quarry, and I don't know why I thought of that. A jackal of it. zombies, a quarry of zombies. All right. I'll take it under advisement. All right. Thank Adios. you, sir. All right. Thank you, my friend. If you're on hold, hang tight. We resume with calls around the corner. We are looking for the name for a zombie collective. Also, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, Jim Roop, Tim Riley. All of that on the way. Stay there. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. Uh, today we are looking for the collective term for a group of zombies. We've got this one, Rick. It's not a word, but I like the sound of a ginch of zombies. In the ginch, the bully on different strokes. That was the gooch. All right, well, whatever. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. I do believe on the warm line, this is CNN Radio Correspondent. Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? I'm sorry, are you there? Hello? I'm good, hello? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you there for a second. Oh, okay. All right, uh, before we uh, progress into the meat of this call, do you have the term that we might use to describe a group of zombies? I don't. Uh, we, because, you know, the gaggle of geese, murder of crows, pride of lions, school of fish. So I'm trying to find the term for a group of zombies. Wow, I'm coming up empty, I don't know. So far we have ginch of zombies. We have Jackal of Zombies. We have, what was the guy's other one? Jackal of Zombies and the something or whatever. 
Couldn't have been that impressive. A uh, wedge of zombies. A wedge of zombies is good. We have this, a moan of zombies. That's kind of creepy. All right, so about, my goal is by the end of the day, I want to try to find the collective term for zombies. Well, uh, you can go with, um, shoot, with uh, uh, I Am Legend and um, Hive, I believe. A hive of zombies. That's kind of creepy, kind of Borg-like, sort of. All right, there you go. Uh, somebody, let's see, what do you also have this? We had the, what's that, Moan of Zombies, and then we had the, a kill of zombies. No, it doesn't work. Uh, a murder of zombies is pretty great, but it's like, but it's so synonymous with crows, it doesn't, doesn't really work. Mm. All right, how's life? Mm. How are things? Uh, how's the weather where you are? You know, I, you know it's funny, I'm, I am deep inside the capital, and I, I never know what the weather is for very long periods of time. You know, so it is with us, actually. Uh, we'll finish this show, and Sarah is a much better person than I am, so she bicycles uh, way more often than I do. Way to go, Sarah. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> and the person who comes in, uh, you know, after us, you know, they'll come into the studio, and the first thing out of Sarah's mouth is, what's it like outside? Because where we are, there are no windows, there's no natural light, there's no natural air, there's really nothing. I mean, it's below sea level where you are as we, well, right? Well, that's right. You've been in the studio. Yeah, we really are. I mean, it is like we're, we're in some sort of fail-safe bomb shelter place. <laughs> Which I sort of like because I like the ability to absolutely control my environment. So I sort of, uh, I always, whenever I'm in you know, a new building or they're going to build us a studio or they're going to put me somewhere, I always specifically ask to the frustration of my coworkers that we're in a, a place that has no windows or natural light or of any kind. I really think you all should ask, you know, if, if there's ever any sort of renovation budget, I think you should ask the station to um, build, to renovate the first floor there so that um, instead of making it, you know, clear access to stairways, they sh should actually build just trap doors and hidden entrances because otherwise no one would ever look where you are. So we could be, com we could be completely surreptitious. You could, and you almost are now. It's close. You know, here's the other thing. All right, let me just tell you right now. Were it up to me, maybe I'll try to wedge this into my next contract negotiation. Maybe I should ask this. Instead of, instead of you know, uh, you know, whatever, the, the discussion about vacation or benefits or a bonus or something, maybe I'll ask for this. In lieu of all of that, I am willing to sacrifice any and all uh, contract augmentations if, in exchange, they will make the door to this studio a bookcase that yes. swivels aside when you pull out a specific yes. book. Yes, Like a sort of Bruce Wayne Manor kind of a thing. Yes, yes, that, right. exactly. I am on that. All right. Um, let me ask you this. What is your journalistic uh, take, your objective assessment of Sarah Palin and Charles Gibson? <laughs> As a couple? Uh, well, i got to tell you, it did look, didn't it look like they were doing that sort of Roger and Irene coffee chat thing? <laughs> I mean, they were like in the weird room that has a bunch of like earth tones. And I kept expecting for him to like pour her a cup of, what is that, what is the coffee commercials where it's like the little, the, the, the little tin can of coffee? Is it like Nescafe? It or, no, it wasn't, wow, look at you, 1940s. Thank you. It was not chock full of nuts. What is that coffee campaign they used to run? And it was a coffee that came in a little square tin can. And it, you would just see the hands stirring the really nice china cup of coffee with a sterling silver spoon. Mm. Uh, and it would, it, they would be like, so where shall we go today, uh, <laughs> Eduardo? And he would say, well, Palencia, uh, shall we go riding in the country or shall we go taking a film? And it was just these hands stirring this sophisticated <laughs> cup of coffee and there was like Vivaldi playing in the background. Oh, someone's going to call in. I, I, you got me. I don't know. Well, that's what the, if only they could. Unfortunately, the phone lines are all filled up with zombie calls, but you know, what are you going to do? Of course, right. Anyway, but that's what it looked like to me. The, 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 the Gibson-Palin thing, it, it was seemed... was a little like that. Only, it... only add a whole bunch of sort of weird... I feel like there was a lot of um, 
Well, there wasn't a, a, a lot of different body language, but the body language was very pronounced, I thought. It just seemed so touchy-feely, and I kept waiting for him to say, like, if you were a tree, what kind of a tree would you be, Sarah? <laughs> right. and he, had, he had that kind of, like, leaning way back in the chair. You know, I'm I'm pondering things with you, Sarah. I, and I, you know, I, I saw she Judy... She seemed tense to me. I saw Judy... a little jumpy. Sarah Palin? A little bit, yeah. Oh, she's not jumpy. She's crazy. Let's have no... I'm not saying... I don't think she's crazy. I'm saying she's crazy. You don't, you don't have to agree. What do you mean by asking me that, Charlie? <laughs> what do you mean about the Bush doctrine? What do you mean? Not what I... What do you mean? I can see Russia from my state. <laughs> um, so... Why don't you define it, Charlie? She, um, she does seem... How do I put this? She seems very tightly wound. She's... She's a reactor. She she reacts. I I'm suspecting, uh, and I say now with my vast expertise, having traveled through uh, the, 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 the halls of various psychiatric uh, and counseling institutions in our fine country, she really seems like she uh, could use uh, at least three or four different medications. That would just well, be my read on her. Oh, well, you know, it's when you reach that level, when you're the governor of a state, especially when you're, you know, kind of the first. Anything governor, you know, first Hispanic, first right. woman, first black, first, you know, whatever. You're, you're pioneering in some way in politics. Um, it doesn't surprise me that you're going to be a little bit, you're going to come across as a little bit tougher maybe uh, than, than somebody else. You're not, you're not the smarmy politician. There's so many politician types. You're, you're not the like, hey, I just love you, you know, kind of Bill Clinton type. Right. You know, and so it doesn't surprise me, but it did, did seem that she, she was a little bit more defensive than I expected, but 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 other than that, I thought she did fine. You know, no major mistakes. Obviously, people who um, pe there was a lot for people to chew on there, uh, especially about foreign policy and especially about um, the way she looks at American America's alliances and 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 you know if we would get into war or not. It seems that she's not entirely clear on that question, though her instinct is. Yes, if our allies are attacked, we we go to war. If I she 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 doesn't seem like she's she's really spent a lot of time on that yet. If I can make an observation, and I, I don't wish for you to take this personally. Well, it's your show, sure. I'm just saying I, I don't wish for you to. This is no. This is not about the you. I don't wish for you to feel like I am. I don't wish for you to take this oh, apart. Oh, jeez, I'm fascinated already. Okay. I, I guess my and I was watching Judy Woodruff interview uh, John McCain. I don't mean to be picking on the Republicans, but it is—it's their turn right now uh, because Barack Obama and Joe Biden, especially Barack Obama, with the line line for so you know, for so long, got so many hits for a long time, and you know, and this week it's this week it's the Republican side, and I think one of the reasons people get so frustrated with the media and with reporters and with interviews like that is that you are sitting there on the sofa yelling at the television. That the person just never answered the freaking question. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody sits there on the sofa and they do that. And everybody, you know, the, the Judy Woodruff would ask John McCain a question, and John McCain would give some sort of vague kind of sort of, sort of fuzzy, like greased up lens response that was in no way a direct answer to the question he was asked. Um, and then she sort of looks down at her list and, like, checks it off and moves on to the next thing. And meanwhile, every single person who's watching it is painfully aware that he didn't uh, answer the question and that she didn't make him answer the question. And I think... It drives me crazy. I, I agree. And it, it does... I mean, it makes me wonder if we're ever going to get back to an era where an interview actually has questions and answers. Well, I do think, you know, to this exact Charlie Gibson example, I think I think he'd said, you know, I'm I'm looking for you to respond to the Bush doctrine, you know, like, you right. know, and she kind of was like, what do you mean by that? Right. And he was, well, I I would like for you to respond to that idea. What about it? You know, and and he, I mean, he did 
he did follow that up. I think an interview that you may want to see and you may have heard about is actually John McCain on The View this very day. Uh, Barbara Walters really went after him and and followed up, uh, asked him several times, you know, you are billing yourself as a reformer, you're billing Sarah Palin as a reformer. Exactly what are you going to reform? Like, specifically, right. she's like, I don't really understand. What What is it that's going to change exactly? And he said, well, we're reformers. We're going to change, you know, the way Washington works. And she said, right, but specific, like, what does that mean? Give me an example. What are you talking about? Right. And he, he never did answer. She followed up uh, two or three times, and it actually was a very heated um, not entirely pleasant uh, view appearance for John McCain. Toward the end, everybody, you know, kind of got a little kissy, but um, it, it was it was very, very tense. And you know what? I'm all for that, and I'm all for that with both sides of the table. I'm all for yeah. that for anybody running for any kind of an office. And frankly, and I don't mean that this sounds like a, this sounds glib, this sounds uh, like a joke, but really, if the interview isn't uncomfortable, then, re- then, then nobody's doing their job. You know what I mean? Because otherwise you're just asking a whole bunch of questions that have no real heft to them. There's no weight and there's nothing riding on the answers. And really, you know, might as well be watching Family Guy. What's the point? I completely agree. I mean, the the trick is, the rule is, my, my you know, I mean, there's not a rule. The way I handle it is a general, unless unless I really feel like it is a major issue and, and I've been evaded a lot, generally, you know, you, you ask three times. And if they don't answer the question, then you say in your story that they didn't answer the question. And you can even put use the recording of you asking the question. But, you know, after three times, it gets... It gets a little belligerent, and then that's where the politicians can be like, oh, evil media, even evil media. And, in fact, you know, I had Deb Price, who's a congresswoman from Ohio, we may have talked about this, you know, walked away uh, from an interview with me, you know, kind of right. turned out because I, I kept asking her what, what you know, it was about Iraq. Um, so it, it is tricky stuff, but, yeah, I think you ask three times, and if it, it's a very big issue, keep ask, keep asking until they walk away. But, but generally, it, after three times, it's sort of you get the point. Uh, you know, and, it's, and it, you know, it happens on the other side, too. I remember during the, um, uh, I think it was during the convention speech when Barack Obama, he made that, he, he referenced that comment that John McCain allegedly made about how believing that, what is it, believing that middle class was, was anything below five million or something. Which, yeah, which, well, which, right in the religious forum. Right. John McCain was joking about well, yeah, that. Yeah, which, which you go back and you watch it. It was obviously a joke. And in fact, the funny thing is when John McCain made that crack about, about the middle class being anything under five million, A, it was a joke and he was laughing. And then immediately after saying that, John McCain's next words were, I bet somebody will take this out of context now. And then you fast forward yeah. to the Democratic convention. There's Barack Obama taking it out of context, which is, in my opinion, the same as lying. And, you know, no one ever just puts him on a camera and goes, look, like, what is your problem? Why did you do that? You know, you know that is a tricky example. I hear you on that one. And each example has its own. You, you debate it. That one, though, John McCain did throw out five million. He may have been joking, but I'm not sure that that counts. You know what I mean? I mean, it doesn't count in the way that it was some, um, you know, Googleplex number that he was being completely silly and fantastical about. He, he really picked a number there, even though he was kind of, he, 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 you know, joking about it. I I would argue that that might have been a little that might have been legit. I will say this, and we unfortunately I'm kind of under the gun. Steve, uh, Steve and I think he was Bumblebee. joking because he knew what a tricky issue it was, and he wanted to be able to back out of it. There's I there is that. I do wish that somebody would ask John McCain. Uh, they would just say, "Look, there's 289 million people in this country. Do you believe Sarah Palin's the best you could have done?" <laughs> just to see what he would say. You know what I mean? And even if it's just even if he comes back with a with a with a response, I like to see how politicians handle questions that are difficult because you're going to be 
sitting across the table from some guy who thinks you're the great Satan and wants to nuke you, and I'd like to see how he deals with somebody who's not tossing him softballs. So yeah. I, I'm a geek. I just want to ask him what he thinks an appropriate level of the national debt is. Yeah. See, that's, see, that's why we love you. All right. Um, unfortunately, $10 trillion dollars I, right now. $10 trillion. I must skedaddle at the moment. Okay. Uh, are you on Monday? I will be here Monday, yes. All right. Have a good weekend. We will talk to you then. You as well. All right. There you go. That's uh, Lisa Desjardins. Do they still have the debt clock, Tim? Now they used to have that debt clock running somewhere that showed you what the debt was there at any moment. I think it's in New York, isn't it? See, but I heard the irony was I heard they had to take it down because it cost too much money to run. That's probably true. I don't know. if, that, But maybe that sounds like a thing that might be so funny and appropriate that maybe it's not true. But I read somewhere that the debt clock, which showed at every – I think it was updated constantly. It was a real-time running, like an odometer, basically. It constantly ran and flipped over. And it showed you what the national deficit was and then what your share of it was. It was like, you, you, Sarah Dillon, owe $9,325,000 or whatever, and it was constantly running. But then I heard from somebody that it actually cost so much to run the debt clock, they had to turn it off, which is great. I'm gonna, depressing. Yeah, I'm going to choose to believe that that's the case, even if it's not. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yes, zombies. Yeah. A fester. A fester of zombies. All right, yeah. I, hold on. I've got to turn to a different page in my, uh, my legal pad. A fester of zombies. Yeah, because if you don't take care of it right away, it's just going to get worse, and then you end up dead. That's true. Don't poke at that thing. It'll get infected and sentient. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. It also makes me think of Uncle Fester. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I have two suggestions for the zombies. Yeah. Uh, the first one is a slobber of zombies. A slobber of zombies. And the next one is a lobe of zombies. Like L-O-B-E, like your frontal lobe? Correct. A lobe of zombies. I like a slobber of zombies. I do too. It, it, it seems like there's. It's like it, it gives the impression that there's more than one, and they're all kind of together. Totally. And they're like a, slobbering, like zombies do slobber. A salivating at the prospect of ingesting your entrails. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Print it. Thank, Print it. Thank Let's you, sir. Go. All right. Oh, somebody said what? This. I think this sounds really cool. A flesh of zombies. A flesh of zombies. Excellent. Uh, also, I've got this one. This is from my own brain. A menace of zombies. Oh, I like that. There you go. A menace of zombies. Uh, by the way, whenever we arrive at a consensus, uh, I'm going to find, I'm going to make some sort of internet page about it. And I'm going to announce to the world that we have named the Zombie Collective. One more, and then we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello. Um, correct term is a horde. A horde of zombies. I mean, don't get me wrong. Max, there's, there's Max no, Brooks. There's, there's nothing wrong with horde of zombies. I I feel like we could do something that's a little more uh, colorful. I mean, who am I to tell Max Brooks? I mean, it's it, within maybe, the survival guide, yeah. Which I guess is maybe canon at this point, but I feel like maybe we need some sort of a, uh, I don't know, some sort of a more colloquial, uh, a, be a better descriptor. A descriptor that has a little more zest to it, but, you know, we'll, and we'll put that, well, maybe we'll make that the official designation, but then the sort of street designation can be whatever we come up with today. A blister. A blister of zombies. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Right there, down. Uh, from New York City, which is one of the places the zombie apocalypse will strike hardest, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. In fact, they've made movies about it. They have indeed. Uh, well, we, we talked about um, uh, um, I Am Legend, which is not right. necessarily about zombies as such, but obviously borrows very heavily from zombie mythology, and zombie mythology in terms borrows heavily from the Matheson book I Am Legend. The greatest moment in uh, I Am Legend for me and we talked about this when the movie came out, is that sequence where they're blowing up uh, the Brooklyn Bridge 
to yeah. keep everybody from being able to get out because they want to sort of quarantine it. And that already has me excited for World War Z, which is, of course, going to be the film adaptation of the best-selling novel by Max Brooks, which you really ought to read. So there you go. Do you have a, uh, do you have a suggestion for the collective term for zombies? The collective term for zombies. So far, we've got a fester of zombies, a slobber of zombies, a flesh of zombies, a menace of zombies, a horde of zombies, a blister of zombies. Huh. Is there a word that begins with Z that 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 fits this mold that you know that means a group? A. Cause that would be great. No, I got nothing. Me neither. That went nowhere, did it? Well, I'll, I'll think on it. All right. Uh, how's life, sir? How are things? Oh, good. Uh, you know, it's my uh, final day here this week before I have a couple of days off, so I'm just watching the clock. You know. And what was the uh, what was the the read? on the relative performances of Senators John McCain and Barack Obama uh, when they were there. Because it was last night, uh, right, that they were both in New York City. Yeah, they did this uh, forum on public service at Columbia University, but they weren't uh, on stage side by side, so it was just a Q&A. And they were really softball questions, to be frank, uh, tossed them by uh, folks from PBS who were moderating the, uh, the Q&A session. And it was really about uh, what their vision is for the future of the United States as it relates to uh, civic service, whether it be in government or in nonprofits or in the military. And, you know, the, the candidates, really, what are they going to say? They're going to differ much on this? Right. You know, public service is bad. <laughs> no, no one's going to say that. So it was a pretty pretty um, light night as far as controversy was concerned, but they're right back on the uh, campaign trail today. But, uh, I mean, the one part where they um, – yeah, I wouldn't call it controversial – but the one thing that uh, was interesting was they both uh, thought that Columbia University and other elite universities were wrong when they do not allow ROTCs to be on campus. They feel it should be up to the students to uh, to choose and make right. the decision for themselves. You know that you know there are and you go to these elite you know Ivy League schools and of course there are a lot of guys who were in the military and and then come back to grad school or or want to be officers in the military and serve the country. But if there's no ROTC on campus, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, just as a, before we go here, one a sidebar, maybe you've already done this, or maybe somebody has already done it, but I'm, I'm not afraid to admit when I'm just completely clueless about something. And one of the things, a term that has entered the uh, public debate in the last few days, the last week or whatever, uh, especially since Sarah Palin's speech, is this phrase, community organizer. And right. you know, Barack Obama kept touting his experience as a community organizer, his campaign, and the folks around him talk about that a lot. And then Sarah Palin came out and made it sort of a laugh line. She was sort of diminishing it or poking a little bit of fun at it. But I got to tell you, and we don't really have to talk about it now, but I have no idea what a community organizer is. I couldn't tell you what that is. You put a gun to my head. So Really? I would think in Portland you'd have a lot of them there, no? You know, in Portland's a progressive city. People do stuff. There's groups. There's organizations. But I don't know if any of them are community organizers because I don't know what a community organizer is. So I guess my question is, I mean, I might be familiar with what they do, but I don't necessarily know that I would associate it with that term. In other words, if I had right. to put down on a piece of paper what exactly that means, I don't necessarily know that I get it right. And I think a lot of people probably couldn't tell you what a community organizer is. So, uh, you know, there might be something you might think about educating the, uh, the common man about that. Well, I can give you a quick uh, sentence or two, uh, two do. or three, maybe. Well, basically, you know, when you're a community organizer, you're identifying problems in your community uh, or, or seeing a, a problem that a lot of people are are complaining about or issues that they're that are on their minds, and then you're sort of, you know, uh, coalescing that into uh, a movement or, or an organization. 
So that so you, you're sort of like the person who's organizing all that, you know, idle uh, chatter. If, if people are upset with something or, or they think something should be changed, you're taking that to the next step. You know, most people, any, everybody will complain about something in their neighborhood, and, and very often they're very serious complaints. So, but, but what do you do about it? So the community organizer takes all of that and organizes it into uh, something more effective. All right, so here's, here's what you ought to do. This would be an interesting thing. Uh, maybe this is uh, the beyond your resources or even beyond your interest, but... What somebody should do is a side-by-side comparison, a, an article or maybe an investigative piece, this might frankly be better suited for television, where they spend one week with a community organizer, and then they spend one week with the mayor of a town of 9,000 people. And over <laughs> the course sure of a, doing that, right? Right now, man, but do a side-by-side comparison, and I don't know what the answer would be, but find out exactly what the relative difficulties and tasks are for those two gigs. That that is that's like screaming out to be done, and I would be surprised uh, if somebody wasn't already doing that. You know, that that's like yeah, I, I agree with you. I probably nobody is doing it uh, right now. That would be my guess. My my gut tells me that that's a good idea that everybody assumes has been done, so no one has done it. Yeah, good point. So I think everybody's more concentrated right now on the things like uh, the Alaskan Mythbusters. Have you yeah. heard about them? Yes, I have. Yes. I think they should have their own show on the Discovery oh. Channel. Boy, you know, Alaska has never received so much attention, both for good and bad. So, uh, Except for the ice road truckers and the deadliest catch. You know, you know what, Alaska? Uh, this may be a uh, uh, not terribly apt comparison, but it's the only one I can come up with. I'm going to say that Alaska is like the new Waco, you know? And really nobody <laughs> ever heard of Waco, Texas. Then suddenly everybody heard of Waco, Texas. Yeah, so. exactly. All right, sir. Enjoy your weekend. We will talk to you soon, brother. Uh, I'll speak to you guys when I come back on Thursday. Thank you, my friend. All right, be safe. We'll talk to you then. Take care. There you go. Steve Kastenbaum in New York City. Yeah, no, Alaska, man. Alaska's probably never seen so many reporters. This is people left it. The people who would not have gone to Alaska if you had paid them. And by the way, I think you do actually have to pay people to go to Alaska. Because that's the thing where every man, woman, and child in Alaska gets like three grand in the mail just for not moving away. Mm-hmm. Also, I think until very recently in Alaska, because I have a friend uh, of Lara's who lived there, and there was some homesteader thing where they would they would sell you just this huge swath of land, like acres and acres and acres for a dollar, as long as you would agree to build a house there and then not move away. Like as long as you would agree to stay there, to keep their uh, their frozen up state just populated they would uh, they would agree just to give you land, basically. We'll do two more, then we'll break. We'll come back with Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, okay. Thanks so much. That does count as one. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick. You. Hey, uh, the coffee you're thinking of is called International Delights. Is that what it was? International yeah. Delights. And it was... Oh, like the little French vanilla tins? Totally. You yeah. know, and so, but the ad campaign, it was a TV campaign, and it was a man and a woman, uh, and the implication was that they were romantic partners, officially or otherwise, and it was just them having breakfast, and it was a silver serving tray with a coffee and a, uh, like a silver, you know, like a sterling silver pot, and then fine china cups or whatever, and it was just their hands preparing the coffee. And meanwhile, they were having like this really sophisticated conversation about, well, we're going to go play polo with Muffy later. And, you know, and then there was like this soothing music in the background. It was supposed to make you feel culture for drinking instant coffee out of a can. So, was it kind of like one of those I can't believe it's not butter commercials where it's just the two hands like that buttering the muffin? But you know, <laughs> but you know that that I can't believe it's not butter thing. But you know how that's all like like the ordinary couple next door. Oh, it's so creepy. Like the they, like, evolve over time. Yeah, because the, yeah, the the I can't believe it's not butter couple. Uh, they're just hicks. Like you can just hear it from there. They're just buck-toothed uh, nitwits. Uh, but meanwhile, but in this, but in the international delights thing, 
it was they were trying to market them as sophisticates. And it was this sort of upper crust couple who were pondering their exciting and moneyed day over a cup of coffee. Uh, and it was an interesting, it's sort of an interesting look into the world of advertising because, again, they were trying to add sophistication to instant coffee coming out of a square can, which is a fundamentally stupid product. So, all right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, shall we roll into the news, Sarah? Well, it's only 12.01. Oh, well, let's do this, and we'll come back. Tim Riley, have ye news for us? Yes, I have some. All right. On the other side, Tim Riley gives you the noon news hour. Later on, more of your calls. Uh, we're looking for the collective term for zombies today. Later on, Scott Daly will talk to Jim Roop. Uh, we may or may not do a top five. We have High Concept Friday. More of your calls. Stay there. Emerson Radio Program. Thanks so much for coming along. I'm going to read these three brief things. We'll do two calls. We'll talk to Tim Riley, who will give us a full hour of news as only he can. Shield yourself now. Uh, I'm just going to read these in no particular order. Let's see. Uh, I got this sent to me by like a billion people this morning. The McCain campaign is defending Alaska Governor Sarah Palin's inquiry into banning books at her hometown library. Or library, saying her questions were only hypothetical. Blah, blah, blah. Is that? Let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, Pamela Anderson says, I can't stand Sarah Palin. Quote, she can suck it. Oh, we have that soundbite coming up. Yes. It presumably being her loss this November in the opinion of Pam Anderson. Who's did, to say? Did I hear her say something about how she... Thought dinosaurs existed a couple hundred years ago. Pam Anderson? No, uh, Sarah Palin. No, but Chris Paddock told me she doesn't believe in dinosaurs. Let's wait. No, let's stop. You haven't heard any of that? No, no, no. Stop. First of all, it's pretty great that when you said she doesn't believe in dinosaurs, it could have in my head it could have easily either been Sarah Palin or Pam Anderson. <gasps> okay, wait. I was just okay. So we were just hitting on Barack. Hitting on Barack is the right way to put. We were hitting Barack a few minutes ago about that that quote from John McCain that Barack Obama is willfully distorting, and even I can recognize that that's the case. This is why we always tell you to donate money to no one and to trust no one at all. But here's somebody else. Okay, here's something else somebody should be doing. Somebody uh, ought to create sort of an online flash thing, and it's a who said it, Sarah Palin or. And it would be like Pam Anderson or maybe like uh, maybe like uh, like a retarded fifth grader. <laughs> like who said it, Sarah Palin or, uh, you know, uh, you know, who said it, Sarah Palin or who's that character from The Crucible that says they were, uh, is it Tichuba in The Crucible that is talking about how they were dancing with spirits in the woods because she believes in superstitious nonsense? Yes. You know, like a dinosaurs don't exist. The earth is only 2000 years old. Whatever. Uh, tongues of flame were dancing above my head as I gave witness to Jesus kind of a thing. Somebody got to do it. Who said it? Sarah Palin or, but then the other person is like a ridiculous figure. So, what? Well, Chris Paddock told me that Sarah Palin does not believe in dinosaurs. Well, is this, this because she's a creationist and therefore... Yes. Now, do creationists... I don't mean to sound like I'm picking on creationists. You know, it's a free country. You can believe whatever you like. Even in Alaska, who's going to bother you? But do creationists not believe that dinosaurs existed? That's, That's actually a good question. I've, I've thought of it before, but I don't know the answer. Didn't we have this discussion with Scotty, who is a creationist? Scotty J. Well, Scotty did that annoying thing where he would never, he'd just answer a question with a question, not unlike Or with a bad opinion. joke. Yeah, so, that, so we never actually found out anything. I'm really, now I am, you liberal. I am sincerely curious about this. Do creationists believe in dinosaurs 
And if so, when do they believe? But I mean, do they believe that? Do they believe that the fossils were created by scientists in a lab somewhere, like in the same place we're controlling the weather? Maybe Jesus. Do they believe that God created dinosaurs as a test of your faith? Like dinosaur fossils as a test of your faith? Oh, that could be. To see, like a Job sort of a thing? To see if, like, you would be thrown off? Like, if you would remain a true believer, even even in the face of what looks like evidence? So that means probably Christianists don't believe in, like, cavemen or anything, right? But see, I, and I... Please forgive me if I'm being ignorant on this point, but I really honestly don't know. I would be curious to know that fact. So Chris Paddock told you Sarah Palin doesn't believe in dinosaurs. That's what Chris Paddock told me, yes. I'm very confusing. Yeah, not, I, I don't think he's here right now. We'll have to ask no, him. No, uh, he's at Rockfest, but uh, we'll follow up. Somebody will tell us. If only the phones weren't clogged with zombie calls. Uh, we'll get to those here in a second. Uh, final thing, by the way, uh, those who have been following the case of the West Memphis Three uh, will note that uh, about 72 hours ago, the judge told the West Memphis Three to get bent, and he denied them the uh, denied them the new trial, which they so richly deserved. I will simply let that stand without comment. The only comment I will give will be in terms of juxtaposition, and it will be this. And then we'll go to the news, and I'm not going to say anything more about this story except the three sentences that I'm going to read. Newly released grand jury transcripts add strong evidence to the argument that the conviction and execution of Ethel Rosenberg in the Cold War's biggest espionage case were based on perjured testimony. In recent years... One of the two key witnesses against Rosenberg recanted his testimony. Here's the money line. It now appears the other witness made up her testimony. It's according to uh, government and grand jury documents. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen at the Ministry of Truth, we'll get calls in a minute. This is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. News and new brought to you by Leif's Auto Collision Center. Find us collision repair. Go to Leif's.com. Find out what Leif's can do for you. Get a report of a brush fire on the I-84 at the uh, 11th Street overpass. Guess who's here today? Howard Dean. Howard Dean will be signing you up to vote between 1 and 2 today at Lewis and Clark. We understand this is in front of Building 36, the Templeton Student Center. And then he's going to hang around after that because Howard's going to have a potluck dinner at 5, so I don't know what he's bringing. Oh, damn it. That was supposed to be the Dean scream again. Why did that happen? Sorry. Sorry. Howard Dean's potluck is going to be at the Obama campaign headquarters at 3016 Southeast Division. And then he goes to Renton. Really? Hopefully he gets there by 10. Oh, come on. Now I'm just getting the plonking sound. Oh, man. This is like you the other day trying to play that Obama sound. Oh, I know how Thank you. Uh, now I don't even know where my Dean scream has gone to. Wait, well, the story's over. Well, but more, more. Oh, come on. I hate my life. All right. I'm just going to reboot that. Hey, yeah. we'll come back to it so you can use it again. I can read your. Uh, I can read the sarcasm between the lines of your. Uh... But I'm not saying anything because I haven't tried to play anything yet today. Yeah, you know you're tempting fate right now. You I know really things... am. I, I have like three dozen things loaded into this machine. Things go badly for you, Tim. You know what that is? Karma. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's all cross our fingers that nothing goes uh, amiss with your sound bites. Here's Tim Riley. So a car traveling 100 miles an hour. Leave Chicago. Half no. the passengers get off in St. Louis. No. Oh. 
slams into a church in Estacada. The car bursts into flames, the driver dies, and the church is set on fire. This happened at the First Baptist Church. It was a loud boom that the car burst into flames. The church quickly caught on fire. Uh, people tried to save the woman in the car, but were unable to revive her. Uh, apparently, they heard a loud noise and explosion. They could see flames in the top windows, and that was about it. So here's something really stupid. The Oregon Zoo has announced the name of the new baby elephant. That's the one that uh, the mother doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And the name of the elephant is Samudra. What sort of a name is that? Well, apparently, the zookeepers came up with five options to choose from. And the top five were Amul. That's Hindu for priceless. Then number two is Bio. Not as in Scott Bio, but Chinese for precious treasure. Then number three was Duke. Vietnamese for good moral. Oh, good morals. So that would be like Richie's middle name if he was Vietnamese. Well, he is. Then number four was Hugo II. The name honors the baby's mother, Rose II, and its grandfather, Hugo. So it's a combination of both. Number five was Samudra. It's a nickname of Sam in the Hindu language. Uh -huh. It also means Lord of the Ocean. So Lord of the Ocean won out. Why is the elephant the lord of the ocean? That I doesn't make know. any sense. Well, apparently, the elephant loves to take baths. Why can't they just call it the... Can't they like just Frank? skip to the bottom of the page and call it the great god Ganesh? They could. All right. Well, whatever. So I, the elephant has a name. I'm, I'm just, I, I only say, look, I understand it's a big world. I don't wish to sound like an ugly American or whatever. I know that we're in a melting pot and so forth. But the, would you agree that the simple reality is no one will ever remember that name? No, it's like the names they put on the... Uh, the gondola? Yeah, which I don't even remember what they are. I don't either, but they're ancient names that nobody ever talks about or remembers. Are you the gondola? Did you just say the gondola, really? The, Isn't that the a tram? Gondola? The tram. Well, it's the same thing. What's weird is I immediately knew what you were talking about. See? But, they, but the tram that goes to OHSU, I'm not trying to belittle this, but they gave it, didn't they name, didn't they, maybe I'm wrong, but I seem to remember they named each of the trams after... Indian like, they're like Native American names. Or something I thought, like but that? see, I didn't think so. I thought it was, I thought it was black activists. No, no, no. Are you sure? I'm positive. I thought they were activists in the black community. No, not this time. That was some other project, but it wasn't It wasn't for the tram. But see, but nobody ever remembers, right? And so you always... Well, and, what Native American is going to take a tram to OHSU? And they just... And everybody just ends up coming up with their own, like, uh, we're calling Mickey and Minnie. You know? We're calling Bacon and Egg. I mean, that's how the American brain works. The American brain just ends up calling them, you know, like, Mop and Glow. No, they, they call it the tram stop. Or the tram. I suppose that's true. I think, Rick, I think you might be right. In your face, Tim Riley. I'm wrong. One's Walt after be? Walt Reynolds, the first African-American to graduate from, and then I can't read the rest of it. That's what I'm talking about right there. At least there. one has to be an Indian. I must be half right. I thought they had, like, strange names. They did. What were we thinking of? I think we might we be... saw them. We might be thinking of... Look, let's be honest. It's not like there's a shortage of things in this part of the country named after Indians, so there's any number of things you might be thinking of. I know it was a Pocahontas. I mean... Uh, you can pick one in three road marker signs around here, uh, and there'll be an Indian name on it somewhere. So I want to find out where these Indian names went. They might have changed them. But the trams were never called anything Indian. They were <laughs> they were black activists. I remembered this correctly. That's the only time that's probably going to happen on this program that I was right I in one of my story? recollections. I, I admit I was wrong, but I want to find out what happened to the Indian names. And I, I too, want to know what happened to the Indian names. Moving on. How about this? Let's stop the whole show till we find out. Slaughter of zombies. A slaughter of zombies is good. That's from Brian. Let's do some calls, shall we? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Good afternoon. Hello, sir. I was wondering if, if, you, if Tim noticed on the front page of the Oregonian today, there's a picture of Obama and McCain at ground zero. And Obama has his flag pin on, but McCain does not. Is that true? 
That's the way I'm looking at the picture. It makes him a yep. bad American. It sure is. Exactly. Uh, you know, well, I'm I'm for moving beyond the flag pin era. Have you I, noticed? I, I am, too. But if this man is going to be ridiculing Obama for lack of flag pins, and he's not going to wear it at ground zero. Now, wait. Did he actually make fun of Obama for not having a flag pin, or is that like something we've just heard? No, no, no. That, well, maybe not him in particular, but the, the, the RNC and McCain campaign. Uh, mocked him for not having it, and he was going on about how you don't have to have a flag lapel pin on to be patriotic, but then he ended up caving in and he wears it occasionally. What was that, uh, insert joke here, I suppose. I was, what was that thing John Edwards had? Didn't he wear a, a pin? It wasn't a flag pin, but it was like a circle. Oh, a whore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't top that. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for that call. <laughs> what was he wearing? A woman. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see here. Now, somebody claims, and I don't know that this is true, Paul emails and says, Rick, creationists think that dinosaur bones were placed in the ground to throw us off from the truth. By who? By Satan? I, and I really don't mean to be insulting or flip. I really don't know. I, okay. Well, the phone lines are too full of zombie calls to do this. I was going to specific, I was going to do that Art Bell thing and go, call the creationist line at 1-800- I do wish I had a dedicated phone number that I could uh, throw open to look for a real creationist uh, to answer these questions. Sort of like, you know, Lycus does that Ask a Mexican thing and the Ask an Atheist. I would like to do Ask a Creationist. All right. Well, let's do it. But you know what? I, but I would feel just by calling it that, I'm almost kind of ripping Tom off. But I, I don't think he's ever done that, though. I mean, I, it, we wouldn't, I, mean I would like to have a creationist answer these questions. Uh, not even this. Todd? Todd uh, the Corpse? Todd well, he's a Sunday school teacher, but I don't think he's a creationist. I think he believes in, what do you call it, science and facts and things. But, uh, you know, who knows? All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, hi. What's up? Uh, brand, brand, brand new listener. And just while I've been on hold, i got to say, you got quite the, uh, quite the awesome show. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, calling in a couple of things. Uh, I, the uh, whole, what do you call a horde of zombies? Yes. Or, uh, we're looking for a better word than horror. Stagger. A stagger of zombies. That's really good because because uh, of what the limping and the uh, the muscle degradation and so forth. Yeah, uh, stagger worked. Got it. Uh, but yeah. And uh, is, is is that all you had today, sir? If so, it was uh, it was stellar. Was there anything else you'd like to contribute? Um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that uh, dinosaurs are actually around at the same time as uh, Jesus. Do they believe? Let me ask you this: to the best of your knowledge. Do Jehovah's Witnesses believe that dinosaurs were on Noah's Ark? Do they believe in Noah's Ark? Oh, Noah's Ark, yes. Uh, dinosaurs on Noah's Ark, no. I think that's actually their explanation for why they don't exist. It's uh, so hard to keep track. You need like a, you need John Madden in the CBS chalkboard to do this. So, uh, how did you discover our program, sir? Uh, favorite, one of my uh, favorite places to go drinking. They were uh, talking about uh, Sarah, and through that, they that's hard to believe. Uh, should I ask him the name of the uh, venue, the name of the watering hole? What was the name of the place, sir? The B-Side. Oh, the B-Side. So there you go. Yeah. Talking about Sarah Dillon. So, all right. Well, thank you, my friend. Glad you're listening. You spread the word for us. You call us anytime, sir. All right. all right. Thank you. There you go. Okay, I've solved the mystery. We're both right. About Honestly, what? Todd the Corpse just wrote me and said he, too, remembers Native American tram names. So I quit caring okay. about this like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I, I know, do. but we listened to your teeth for 25 minutes. Can't you just give us a Listen little... to my teeth. <laughs> so tram car Walt honors, not Walt Disney, but Walt Reynolds, the first African-American to graduate from the uh, University of Oregon Medal Medical School, not mm -hmm. OHSU. That's why that is. Then the other one is Gene. 
That's Aaron, not an Indian name. No. We haven't got the Ironized Jean. She graduated from OSU in 1949. And so then we get to the names for the tram car stations. Chamfu. <laughs> there we go. Means on the mountain. This is the upper station. Chamfu? Yeah, you, you get off at Chamfu. That doesn't sound head. Indian. That sounds Asian. Well, how many Indians have you talked to about uh, tram stops? How is that spelled? C-H-A-M-E-F-F-U. Chamfu. Oh, okay. Well, it sounds Asian, but it's spelled, I think, in a Oh, they could be Asian Indians. All right. That means on the mountain. That is the upper station. Then we have Chamanchel, meaning on the river, for the lower station. The local uh, Native American community is pleased that the city is renaming this, using a local tribal language. All right. So just for the record now, <laughs> the the cars, Themself. the tram cars are named after black, uh, not activists, but they did. Uh, one of them is named after a black engineer and the other one's named after a female. After a lady. All right. Uh, so, um, and then the tram stations yes. have Indian names. Yes. And does it say what tribe? Yes, the Tualatin tribe. All right. So there you go. Can we be done with this forever? Yes. Yes. Right. So we were both right, Tim. It <laughs> is. It is great to be happy ending. Like just like dog with a bone, though. You just had that in your teeth and wouldn't let it go. Well, I, I knew there was some mention about that not that long ago. Yeah. You know, can I tell you? Let me just say, though I may have poked fun just now, you've shown like way more initiative in finding the truth about this than like anybody else in any form of media has done with any of the presidential uh, nominees this year. Well, so. then we should go national. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Telling me. Uh, I'm sitting here looking up Indian names. All right. How about this, Rick? Creationists believe that God put fossils in rocks to make the world complete. That's stupid. What does that mean? I know this because I was a Baptist until I was excommunicated, says uh, Mary. Uh, Rick, most creationists believe dinosaurs either existed on day five. I wonder if that's Pacific or Eastern. Uh, that they are completely fabricated by scientists or God to test their faith. Oh, and there are tons of dinosaur shows on this weekend on the Discovery Channel. How about this? Todd the Corpse, Sunday school teacher and man of Jesus, says, Not all creationists believe in a 6,000-year-old earth. He says, I am technically a creationist because I do believe that God created everything, but through what devices and how long it took, I have no idea. Well, then, then by that rationale, we're all creationists. Because, obviously, everything was created somehow. I mean, that, now that I think about it, creationism is a... This is not about the belief system as such, but the name, that's a stupid name. That's like how Republicans kind of co-opt, like, family and, like, value and liberty and whatever. Creation is sort of being co-opted by people who reject uh, most uh, modern science. Seems like a little bit of hijacking a perfectly good word, because then by definition we're all creationists, because obviously everything was created, you know, Big Bang and so forth. That's very confusing. He says, evidence shows the earth is millions of years old, and I can't figure out why religious people take offense to that. It doesn't negate, uh, negate a, do a, dog, a God-created universe. Uh, he says, I've heard of people saying that God put fossils to test our faith, but I don't hang out with anyone like that. Uh, and it gets very, you know, now we're just like in full-on inherit the wind territory. This is making my brain hurt. No, this feels like a show that could stretch into midnight if allowed to do so. It doesn't it, though? Doesn't this, and this so sound... Somebody has to slam the brakes on some of these topics. Doesn't this sound, though, like our own particular insane bent on what used to pass for talk radio? Yes. Today we're talking about creationism versus evolution. My guests are uh, Dr. Jonas uh, Wigglestein and uh, and uh, Reverend uh, Mary Hortense, and they will be your, they will be discussing both sides of the issue, and we will be taking your phone calls 
as the show progresses. Also, farm reports. And you're right, but that would just and like in and the Madam Swami will will read your uh, fortune in the pre-Rush Limbaugh era. That would have just gone all day and all night, and it would have been sponsored by Metamucil and some local grain company. Uh, all right, let's try to get back to some zombie calls, then we'll continue the news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. What's up? Uh, two quick things. Number one, you could go the opposite way with zombies and go a hug of zombies. A hug of zombies? Got it. Yeah. And uh, secondly, they should have named the elephant Avon Barksdale. <laughs> Why? Just because it would be righteous? Just because it would be badass? Yeah. All right. No, I'm with I you mean, on that. The other elephants would totally just respect him and not screw with it. Hey, you know what? If I if I ever, uh, I mean, I've talked about you know, the other dogs. If I ever get another dog, I'm going to name them two things. My next dog is going to be named Ned Ryerson, and the dog after that is going to be named Stringer Bell. I was gonna. I was trying to choose between Stringer and Avon. Yeah. Now Stringer, if you go to my um, space page, you'll note that on my MySpace profile under Heroes, Stringer Bell is listed as one of my heroes. Not Omar. Uh, I love Omar, but uh, you know, I got a, I got a special love for Stringer. So, all right. Th- thank you, sir. Tim Riley's dad. Uh, there you go. Here's Tim Riley. So here's what not to do in Gresham, among many other things. If uh, you were drunk in a motorcycle, try not to crash into the back of a police patrol car. Done. That's what happened on East Burnside. Under arrest, 26-year-old Dustin Ross of Portland. This happened just east of Southeast 162nd. He was treated for some minor injuries, and it was off to jail. Uh, you can't have a cookout in the Couve. Dry conditions and gusty winds. Have fire officials warning you. Be extremely careful with fire. Vancouver and Clark County banning all outdoor fires immediately. Have your cookout a cook-in. Oh, they want to open up a new strip club in Tualatin. And some residents are trying to block it. Stars Cabaret would be located about a block from an upscale shopping center on the other side of the I-5. Uh, a woman named Sue Ann, who works at Gallup's Saddlery, says she's afraid the strip club next door will hurt her business. Uh, businessman Randy Kaiser wants to open the Stars Cabaret Kaiser. in the building that previously held the Out of the Blues Bar. Wait, so what? where is this exactly? In Tualatin. In Tualatin, he wants to open a strip club, and the woman who runs a place called Gallops? That's correct. Is that a singles bar? No, I guess it's a a horse shop of some sort. A horse shop? Horse. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't know what you said there. Um, I wasn't really listening. I was busy reading this thing about creationists, and somebody saying... Well, I can see why that might horn in on your business, had that been so. So why didn't it my business? No. Horn. Oh, I'm sorry. I can keep saying whore and then denying it. I've, I've never denied saying whore. <laughs> I need to ask me a question. Uh, anyway, well, strip clubs bring business to neighborhoods, don't they? Don't they bring what we... Not the re- kind of business neighborhoods want, Rick Emerson. Not I don't right. want it in my neighborhood. It doesn't bring... It, not the kind of... It brings... Uh, it doesn't bring creationists to the neighborhood. No. Uh, I don't mind if it brought dinosaurs. All right. Yeah, I thought... To, I think strip clubs bring uh, what we uh, in the radio industry call foot traffic. I went to a strip club last night. Really? Mm-hmm. Which one? Sassy's. Sassy's. Wait, where's that? It's on, uh, like, 10th and Morrison. I asked to see two pe- The guy asked me for two pieces of identification because he didn't think I was 21. Well, good for you. I know. I was like, thank you. I can't remember the last time I got carded. I mean, it must have, it must have happened. But, I, oh, you know, it was, at the, it was at Dominic's. But, I mean, that was clearly where they were, like, that was one of those places where they were doing it for everybody up to and including, like, 85-year-olds, which doesn't make you feel. I mean, that doesn't count. It's only if they legitimately think you're underage, which no one does with me anymore. So, all right, then. Here's Tim Riley. 
There were thousands of chickens on the side of the road in Woodburn. It was quite a safe for quite some time. Nearly 2,000 chickens were sitting along the I-5 near Woodburn for several hours, and they were stuck there when the driver transported them was found not to have a proper chicken-toting license. The truck's owner told state officials it would take about a day to get a replacement driver, and by doing that, those chickens would bake in the heat and die. Transportation authorities decided to allow the unlicensed driver to finish the route so the chickens could live. A two-year-old boy fell out of a window. He's recovering. This happened in Wilsonville, Wilsonville Road, about a half mile west of I-5. The boy was playing in the second-story bedroom when the screen gave way and the boy fell out. A Boy Scout trailer stolen from a southeast Portland neighborhood has been found in southeast. The scout's mother spotted the trailer at 150th and Powell. The trailer was painted black and listed for sale. <laughs> so they'd stolen it, repainted it, and already put it up to be sold? Uh-huh. That's like one of those, like, and then by the time they found the boy, the woman had cut his hair, dyed it, and named him Stephen. So far, no suspects. All right. Oh, this is so cruel. A man has been convicted of stealing hundreds of Christmas presents from a UPS shipping depot just before Christmas last year. Cornelius Byrd faces sentencing in November in seven felonies and misdemeanors after a four-day trial in Maluma County. Among the items recovered, a 1,000-piece glow-in-the-dark puzzle, a toy dump truck, and matching plastic card hat. Also a Spider-Man lamp. Uh, police said that after a few days of ripping open some of the 280 stolen packages, Bird discarded the ones he didn't want in a nearby apartment building. If you're convicted of Christmas-oriented crimes, you ought to be sentenced to actually go mine coal. That sounds wonderful. That is all. Also, if I ever become uh, like a big city drug dealer, I'm going to call myself Cornelius Bird. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick. What's up? Um, some zombie names for you. Yeah. Oh, we've got uh, somebody submitted Scourge of Zombies, by the way, which I quite like. What is yours, sir? I've got a couple. Uh, okay. A Zoogle a of Zombies. A Zoogle, like Google with a Z, like Z? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. like that. Okay. Or an effing zitload. A, a zitload. An effing zitload. Yes. All right. Thank you. Right, yep, yeah. bagel, cheese muffin, sourdough, wheat white. Okay, stop that. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, I got the zombie name. Yeah. Craze. A craze of zombies. Uh, craze like a C-R-A-Z-E? Yeah, exactly. If you did it with a K, it'd be kind of rock. Then it's like a hip-hop thing, yeah. Yeah, or you'd put umlaut over the A and make it, like, metal, but, uh... A, a craze of zombies. That's not bad. That's what not... about crew, like Motley Crew? You know what we'll probably do, do, end up doing? A crew of zombies. That's pretty good, like, with Motley Crew. Uh, you know what we'll probably do? At the end of the day, I'll probably boil down, like, ten of these... And then next week sometime, uh, you know, Rockfest kind of makes everything difficult to get done today. But then maybe over the weekend we'll put up a, like a like a, 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 a what do you call like a poll or whatever on the, the station site where we can vote. And then we will have the people vote on the definitive name for a zombie group. So we'll get like ten of these, put them on the station site. We'll take votes for a couple of days on that. All right, thank you, sir. Best show ever. Thank you, my friend. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello there. Oh, is this Aaron? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Uh, I hello. You were there. How are you today? I'm good. I'm actually calling about creations and stuff, but then you then you stop taking calls on it. But I didn't want to hang. No, out. I'm just taking the calls as they come in. Do you have a uh, Do you have a name for a group of zombies? I know you do. Uh, well, the one I always heard was a fog of zombies because of the scene in Night of the Living Dead when they come out of the fog towards the farmhouse. A fog of zombies. Yeah. All right, got it. Uh, what had ye to say about creationism? Okay, my hyper-religious, insane grandfather told me that there were like three schools of thought on dinosaurs and creationism. Mm. The first one is that humans and dinosaurs all live together, and the flood wiped out the dinosaurs. But not us. 
but not us. Well, no, we because of Noah's know. Ark. Yeah. Yes, we're we're yeah we're fine. We're not heathens. All right. The the other one that that he said he believed in is that um, much like in Battlestar Galactica, everything that has that is has come before, and we're not the first attempt at God's not first attempt at making life. Why would God why, need Why would God need more than one attempt? I don't know because if he's know, sort of a because he's nuts and he likes to you know well that didn't work scrap it. Why he would crashes, it be, so he like levels one world and then starts over again? Why wouldn't okay so we're basically like uh so we're like God's own spore. Yeah, God's kind of like Bill Gates. He can't get it right the first time, so he has to go through <laughs> a lot of betas. And it took it took until Homo sapiens to be Windows ninety five. Yeah, pretty much. That, yeah. Does that mean that there's a much better, uh, more aesthetically pleasing world somewhere that that God stole everything from? Uh, yeah, probably the Jobsonia universe. Yeah, yeah Jobs universe. Right. And then the third one I, I actually heard at a retreat I was taken to as a kid, which I am still scarred over, is that um, dinosaurs are a Zionist plot. Really? Yeah. Well, all right then. Yeah. On that note, thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. All uh, right, there you go. Uh, let's see, one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, how you doing, man? What do you got? Hey, I had a kiss question. It's more directed towards you, yes, sir. actually. Um, are you a fan of the Vinnie Vincent era of kiss? Uh, well, here, I'll, let me put it a couple different ways. One, I think, like a lot of people, that when they lost original members, they should have scrapped the makeup because I think it diminished the persona of the band to be having, like, a guy who was an onk and a guy who was a fox and, you know, a guy who was an eagle and another guy who was, like, a twig and, you know, whatever. I, so uh, I think putting him in any kind of persona was a bad idea. I think I don't really care for Vinnie Vincent's style of guitar playing. Uh, he's a talented player, but he's another he's one of those guys It was all about just cramming as many notes into a measure as he possibly could. And to me, this is just me. I'm not as interested in that kind of guitar playing, like the, the, the Malmsteen kind of playing, as I am in sort of a, a guitarist who has a real good feel and has a good knack for melody, you know. And sometimes you get those in the same package, sometimes not. I'd much rather have a sloppy but uh, sort of melodic guitar player than a technically proficient guitar player like Vinnie Vincent. Okay, but that all being said, Vinnie Vincent, uh, even though most people didn't, uh, you know, don't really know it, has co-written some of the greatest Kiss songs of all time. Uh, the, the, the most recent example, I think, was when he co-wrote uh, Unholy uh, on the Revenge album. And, uh, you know, without Vinnie Vincent, we would, and I think he co-wrote War Machine. Uh, Vinnie Vincent is responsible for co-writing some of the greatest of Kiss songs. So, Did you uh, look it up, too? Uh, I think so, yeah. He was, I mean, they brought him in as sort of a hired a hired gun. Then he became a member or, you know, an employee. Then he was kicked out, but then they brought him back to co-write, even though he didn't play. And so I think... On, I, I think the sum of it is, you know, on in total, I think I give him a thumbs up, uh, just because his contributions as a songwriter were so strong. Uh, but I think uh, having him in the band and certainly having him in a, some sort of persona was it was a bad and in retrospect very silly idea. Okay, well the reason I asked is because I uh, a, a Vinnie Vincent tribute album came out that um, that my friend uh, played played on. A Vinnie Vincent like a tribute like covering Vinnie Vincent songs. Well, Vinnie Vincent Invasion and Kiss. That's interesting. Like, yeah, um, I could uh, like uh, get you a uh, like one to hear if you're interested in it. Yeah, um, can you just uh, can you email me about that at your uh, earliest opportunity? Sure, and I had one more thing for you. Yeah. Um, I could have heard you wrong earlier, but were you talking about 
hiring Howard Dean to do the, uh, the Howard Dean screen for you or something like that? Well, my whole thing is that Howard Dean is in Portland today. And these things, I should note, by the way, uh, that this is, in every sense of the word, one of those days and one of those Fridays. Is it not? Do I speak for everybody here in the room? Yes. You can already, there's crazy in the air today for some reason. They left agree. us all alone in here. Yeah, well, there's, first We're of all, good alone. <laughs> yeah, there's no one else in the, in the, at the station today because uh, Rockfest is happening and that, you know, a lot of people are out there, a lot of station resources, you know, for that and so that we are all alone. There's like us and like one other person in the entire building today. Everyone is gone. And it just seems to be a little bit of nuttery in the air. So as part of that, we found out that Howard Dean is speaking today, Tim. Yes. Where at? Uh, Lewis and Clark. So he, he's going to be uh, registering people to, between one and two. And then he's going to be at a potluck where I guess he'll speak again at the Obama headquarters. And so five. Uh, and so I was pointing out that I've never given money to any po- politician of any stripe, nor nor would I, uh, because, you know, screw that, they can get their own money somehow. Uh, but that I would be willing to see how much money it would take, how much money I would have to offer the DNC uh, for Howard Dean to, to replicate the screen for me. Well, uh, the reason I ask is, is because I have a strange talent. I can do a dead-on impression of the uh, Dean stream. Is that true? It's true. Okay, you have to do it now. <laughs> All right. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty That's good, good, sir. That's pretty good. That's not bad at all. Um, I'm not paying you anything. Well, I, I didn't expect any payment, but I, right. the payment is the entertainment you give us every day. Well, thank you, my friend. You have a good weekend. You. All right, there you go. Wow. We have to break. Jesus. Is this entire... Uh, this entire day is just, uh, this entire day is like in squiggle vision. It's just vibrating so quickly we can hardly keep control of it. All right, back after this, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It is Friday. Coming up later on, Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio. Jim Roop uh, from CNN Radio Los Angeles will announce the glorious bastard of the week. Uh, I have a leftover top five. We feel like doing it at some point. I have the second uh, installment of the worst song you've ever heard. We have somebody requesting that we replay the first installment of the worst song you've ever heard. It's all very confusing. The Jesus song? Jesus is my friend. We have to play that again. Which was stuck in my head for like a day and a half afterwards. I literally had to make my MySpace song for like hours. Really? I couldn't find it. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for that. In any event, one final note about the dentist. I was talking about going to the dentist yesterday, and Tim and I were actually, I guess it's a thought and a half, Tim and I were talking in the kitchen after that, and he noted the same thing I note. Uh, about this, whenever I sort of talk about it with people, you'd be like, oh, I hate putting, I hate going to the dentist. I put that off as long as possible. And my thing is, I put it off for like 15 years, not because I wanted to, but because I had no money and no health insurance. And so there was, wasn't like I was putting it off because I was, uh, you know, like a big coward about it. It's because I was uh, putting it off because I wanted to be bankrupt. So I just didn't go to the dentist forever. Uh, but, you know, in, in radio, one does not always have um, access to the finest insurance. So now that I've got it, man, I'm just going to get top to bottom, soup to nuts, toenails to scalp. I'm going to get every single thing done and fixed about me that I possibly can. Um, Because you never know when that insurance is going to go away. And then they offer, they laughingly offer you that Cobra thing. Would you like it? Would you like Cobra benefits? Which is where you're paying like $40,000 a month or something for your health coverage. 
Um, so I'm going to get every single thing done at the dentist. And the guy told me, he's like, well, look, we, you got one cavity. we got to drill. We're going to do this sealant on your molars so that you don't get cavities there. And, you know, you probably need a cleaning and whatever. And I'm, I'm booking it with the woman up front. And she says, uh, okay, now um, we typically do this, um, you know, just for your comfort, uh, one quadrant at a time, which I guess means that it's like a quarter, so like four different visits. And she said, you know, we do one quadrant at a time, sometimes less, and, you know, that way you, you don't have to get it all done at one day. And I'm like, get it all done in one day. She said, well, we could spread it out if you'd like over a few months. I'm like, no, do it all in one day. I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care how little I'll be able to speak the next day. Do it all at once. Because you know what will happen otherwise is, eh, like, I'll get halfway through one tooth, and then, uh, you know, and then they'll, like, they'll get the phone call from my insurance company telling me I've been canceled. So I told them to get it all done at once. Also yeah. this... Well, you agree with me, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you get got one more to go. <laughs> Were you going to put it off? I was going to put it off till next year. <laughs> no, not a good idea. Don't <laughs> don't put anything off. Don't 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 plan your successes a year from now. <laughs> You're not planning that far ahead. You don't do that in this business. I know. I plan for next week. Trust no one. Uh, yeah. The uh, gather ye rosebuds and, and ye fillings while ye may, kids. But. Um, Anyway, so he's looking at my uh, mouth and he's doing. Did you know this is how long it's been since I've been to a dentist? This it's been. I mean, at least a decade, and I think more than that. This is how long it's been. Did you know, and you probably did, Tim, that they have this. De- they have this device they can point at your teeth that lets them see right through your teeth. Yeah. It illuminates your teeth, yeah. and they can see right through them. You feel the roots and stuff. That's insane. They didn't have that the last time I went to the. That's how I'm like all. I'm like the Rip Van Winkle uh, of dentistry. Yeah, that's how they found all my cracked teeth. I had no idea. He said, okay, we're going to put the phlebotomizer in your mouth. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, you know, it's that thing that illuminates your teeth so we can look right into them. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, it's we've had it for like 20 years. It lights up your teeth. We can see it. And I said, you're making that up. And apparently they've had that forever. That's how long it's been uh, since I went to get my teeth taken care of. They don't have it up on 92nd, but they have it in more civilized areas. <laughs> you open your mouth. I stick in candle. Uh, so, but he's looking around my mouth at that little funky mirror they have, and, uh, and he says, okay, your, uh, your wisdom teeth seem to be fine. And that's one of those moments when I realized how lucky I have been in my life in some ways. Because wisdom teeth are kind of a problem for a lot of people, aren't they? Yes, I have all mine still. I had to have mine taken out. See, they're, they my, come in my and they... My face was swollen for like three months. Yeah, they cause you a little bit of a ruckus when they come, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They hurt. So, I guess my wisdom teeth, according to what he said, are all in and fine. And the thing is, like, I don't, I don't ever remember their, them coming in. I have no recollection of like pain in my mouth or discomfort or a. They, they used to automatically remove them, especially those in your tonsils, for no reason. Just cause. Yeah. Preemptive surgery, uh, like an interventionist kind of surgery. But I have no recollection of my wisdom teeth growing in at all. And so I realize now that I must have just been incredibly lucky, because yeah. apparently my wisdom teeth are fully formed. They're in. They're done. They're finished. And I never even knew they were coming in. So I guess I really, uh, I dodged a bullet on that. Because had they gone sideways or slantways or crossways or whatever, uh, that would have been like 90, 90 grand or whatever, you know, it is that they charge to take care of that, just like right out of my own, uh, right out of my uh, pocket. So here's Tim Riley. Well, cyber crooks are trying to cash in on the popularity of Barack Obama by promising uh, six videos during Barack Obama. Email recipients are gullible enough to click on the enclosed link See a seemingly homemade sex video that doesn't feature him after all, but it does secretly install malicious software on your computer. It will steal all your secret things, your bank information, your secret passwords, and everything. The uh, tactic is referred to as social engineering. 
And apparently there is no sex tape of Barack Obama having sex with someone in the Ukraine as promised. I can't tell you how little I would be interested in seeing such a tape if it did exist. Oh, boy, can I tell you I made the mistake of watching that Gene Simmons sex tape. Why did I do that? Why did you do that? You know, Why would you do that? I don't know, because it was just there, and I'm like, why not? And I hit play, and that was a mistake. I shouldn't have watched that. Uh, it was very off-putting. Uh, here's an email. Rick, Tim Riley said there were no suspects uh, in the theft of that Boy Scout truck, yet it was painted black and posted for sale. Call me crazy, but couldn't the police just call the number on the for sale sign? You know, that might work. That might. That's a good question, Tim. What is that about? I don't know. I'm not the police. Okay. Here's Tim Riley. Time for a snuff watch. Here's your snuff watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson program. talked about him on this program on numerous occasions. You don't have to be a transplanted Angelino to know of George Putnam, the legendary Los Angeles newsman. He passed away at a hospital of cardiac arrest early this morning. He moved to SoCal in the 1950s. He worked for uh, Channel 13, Channel 11, and uh, Channel 9, and of course KTLA. He, he was so popular one time, it wasn't the KTLA news, but the George Putnam news. And in color, from Los Angeles, yeah. Channel 5 presents the George Putnam News with Hal Fishman, Tom Harmon, and Larry McCoy, and exclusive reports from the world's only telecopter. And helicopter. Plus comprehensive news coverage from air and sea patrol in the fastest moving news report in television. And now, here is George Putnam. Thank you, Steve Dunn. The state legislature gives wow. final... That's fantastic. And all those other guys, of course, that passed away. Uh, Hal Fishman. Ash, Larry McCormick yeah. and the sports guy. So. Wow. That, yeah. the, our news telecopter. The news telecopter. Live and in color. News from the air, sea, and land. And, and of course, That's it, great. if you weren't uh, fortunate enough to be in Los Angeles to see him, you probably watch some of his documentaries in school. Here's one of them. Do you want your son enticed into the world of homosexuals? <laughs> or your daughter lured into lesbianism. Sooner than you may think now, your child will be old enough for a full explanation. So let's brush up on it. It's smart. It's thrilling. It provides kicks to be a homosexual. What are we alive for except to grab all the kicks we can? And I know Jim has his heart set on a boy. Some of these things most kids knew about. That's fantastic. So his hard-hitting reporting style, you may or not know this, but he was the model for uh, Ted Baxter. Is that true? Yeah, on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Right on. Uh, so he, he uh, started his career in Los Angeles in the 1950s. He left to do radio in 1975 and was still doing it at the time of his death. He was 94 years old. He lived out his final years on his 20-acre ranch in Chino. Yeah, you know, you know they don't make him like that anymore. Mm -mm. They really don't. Uh, he's also on Independence Day, by the way, very briefly. Yeah. Uh, when they're um, when they're in the White House, I think, and they're watching the, you know, the obligatory scene where they're watching it. It's, it's on every channel, and then you know, and they're saying that, you know, officials say they don't know where the saucers come from. You know, and they're flipping from channel. One of those guys is George Putnam, mm -hmm. uh, talking about the alien invasion. So he is everywhere. So George Putnam lived to be 94 years old. All right. Worked till the day he died. He did. Good for him. There you go. There's your snuff watch for Friday in the Rick Emerson radio program.
also worked with Root for a while at uh, KIEV in Glendale. Let's mention that the Jim Roop today. Let me forget about that. Jim Roop, George Putnam. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Watch out, watch out. If you live in Texas, get out or die. Most residents along the upper Texas area have been evacuated from their homes as Hurricane Ike barrels into the Galveston and Houston area. It's supposed to hit big time tonight. The storm surge is stronger, and it's important that people understand that this really is a life or death matter. Get out or die. If you live in one of the mandatory evacuation areas and the storm surge comes as it's expected to come, you won't have a house. You can look at what happened in Mississippi during Katrina. Houses with a 20-foot storm surge or a 15-foot storm surge with 8-foot waves on top of that will be destroyed. It's not a question of riding it out. If you're in the mandatory evacuation area, you need to get out. Anderson Cooper's going to be there tonight. Uh, They had the... um... Just say great. That's the wrong way to put it. They had, they had, but just the most fascinating um, little blurb from the, the, the weather service last night. I was watching CNN, mm-hmm. and they actually said, "I'm doing a bad job of paraphrasing it, but I'll get the key part right." The, the National Weather, weather Service. They, he actually had it in his hand. He held it up to the camera. It said, "Residents of single or dual story dwellings right. who do not leave mm-hmm. face certain death." Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I, I mean, really, when does the government ever use that phrase? You face certain death. You know what that is? That's a little overcompensating for the last time when everybody got to, everybody got creamed because they didn't make sure everybody was out of there. So, oh, it is worth noting at this juncture. Uh, so, there, so this, anyway, long story short, so the actual perfect storm has now created a sort of figurative perfect storm in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so one of the repercussions of that is, Let's see if I can get this right. Because Hurricane Ike is going to be hitting, what's it, Texas? Texas. Because it's going to be hitting Texas, and Texas is a state containing a little town called Waco. And Waco is the home to a little football team called Baylor. And or, uh, and so the Washington State Cougars are playing Baylor, and that was supposed to be Saturday. But because of the hurricane, this is how important football is in Texas, because the hurricane is apparently going to be leveling everything, and you'll face... Certain death in Texas. The game hasn't been canceled. The game has been moved up from Saturday to today. Uh, so the WSU Cougar, the Cougar game, which is going to be Saturday morning, and I know there's people in the audience who are a Cougar of fans and aficionados. Uh, the Cougar game that was going to be Saturday on this radio station will now be today. Uh, and so I will say this in advance: uh, there will be a preemption of part of today's Tom Lyka show because of that. So uh, wasn't supposed to be the case. Regrettably, it is the case. Nothing we can do about it. We got like an hour's notice. So, uh, but the hurricane is moving the game from Saturday to Friday. It's going to be the only time it happens. The games are always on Saturday, except for this weekend, because they moved it up because of the storm. So, uh, there will be a partial preemption of Lycus today. But if you're a Cougar fan, you want to make a note that that is not uh, tomorrow anyway. It's been moved to today. What type of game is this? It's uh, football, Tim. All right. Is that Sarah Sarah Dillon's alma mater? Gridiron, pigskin. Yes, indeed. Yes, it is. The school of Edward R. Murrow. That's what I'm saying. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, so let's talk about uh, Sarah Palin. They did not release too much video, but we do have a little bit of it. Uh, question by, they even changed it here, calling him Charlie Gibson. He is Charles Gibson. He doesn't like being called Charlie. Uh, Palin asserted that she is prepared for anything. On January 20th, when John McCain and I are sworn in, if we are so privileged to be elected to serve this country, we'll be ready. I'm ready. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. I thought yes, right off the bat. When he offered me the position as his running mate, the first thing I said to him was, 
if you really think that I can help the ticket, if you really think that I can help this country, absolutely I want to do this with you. Uh, uh, what changes would you like to make in foreign policy? But it is about reform of government, and it's about putting government back on the side of the people. And that has much to do with foreign policy and national security issues. None of this stuff anybody cares huh? about. They care about health insurance and oh. things like that. No, that's great. Losing their jobs to free trade. Crazy and, talk. And having their once valuable jobs replaced by illegal aliens. Because we don't want to do our jobs anymore. Jim, uh, Americans won't do those jobs. No, they don't. Uh, so I. We won't do them for minimum wage. We used to do them for a lot more. And by the way, I, I would address these same comments to the to the Democratic ticket that's running as well. Yeah. It, really, quit talking about vague things like uh, like security and safety and reform and change. Give people a goddamned job. Right. I think I speak for all Americans when I say and that. I've given up on safety on the max. There just isn't going to be any offered. Period. Uh, whatever happened, who was it? I care about getting home safely. That's the, the, and well, you know, and the thing is, Howard Beale really, really was onto something. When, uh, what he said, we know the air is unfit to breathe and the water is unfit to drink. Uh, who was it that actually said, if this in fact is a real quote from history, who said a chicken in every pot? Oh, somebody from the early 1900s. Coolidge, maybe? But, I mean, was that a real presidential yeah. thing or is that from yeah. a movie? No, that that's a real president. I mean, obviously, you don't want to go out there and start saying that I make it look like a, like a retard. But, uh, but, but people do like chicken. But don't you think somebody should say something like that? Somebody needs to come up in this election on either side of the ticket. Uh, somebody ought to come up with... I keep, every barbecue. I keep saying on the side of the ticket, either side of the aisle, somebody uh, ought to come up with a phrase like that that is sort of like a chicken in every, in every pot kind of a thing. Because I think if you polled... Anybody who lived in this country, no matter what their party affiliation was, uh, you said, "What would you rather have? Would you rather have a change and reform, or would you rather have like uh, you know a job and like cheaper gas and some food?" That'd be great. I think everybody falls down on job, cheaper gas, food. Oh, I'd also like to be able to go to the dentist without mortgaging my home. So it seems like somebody ought to get that. Just as they're just, I was thinking about this last night. You know, it's one of those five thirty-seven groups or whatever they're called. What are those groups that do? They run the political ads, yeah, five thirty, but they're not. Like that. But they're not part of the campaign. It's like an end, like the Swift Boat guys. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to run one that just has a still shot of Sarah Palin, and they do that thing where they start with the extreme close-up of her face, and it gradually pulls out. You know, so there's movement, but it's a static shot of her, and they're gradually pulling out, and then you get the full body shot, and 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 then they just list some of her statements or beliefs, things like you know creationism and. There's that story that came out that I guess in Wasilla, which is the you know where she was the mayor, mm -hmm. in Wasilla they, Wasilla made uh, rape victims, women who've been raped, pay for their own rape kits, which is like eight hundred dollars. Oh my God! You've been raped? I, yeah, we'd we'd love for the cops to look into that. Uh, give us eight hundred dollars for for a rape kit, which I do believe the government kind of pays for that everywhere, but there. So uh, it's probably a long line up there. Yeah. So they uh, so they but they list all this stuff, and then the voiceover guy just needs to go. Sarah Palin is crazy. Wouldn't that be a great ad? Mm-hmm. Just a voiceover guy who literally just comes out and says, kind of that, Steve Holt is a bastard. He doesn't even know who his real father is. Somebody needs... Oh, you can do a really good job. Somebody needs to do an ad with Sarah Palin where you do the long pullback. Sarah Palin is crazy. Just look at her. Doesn't she look crazy? She looks crazy to me. Do you want a crazy person running your government? Sarah Palin is crazy. There you go. And then you end with that. I mean, that would be a fantastic ad. Have you purchased SarahPalinIsCrazy.com yet? No. It's difficult. I'm trying to purchase all the Sarah Palin domains I can, but I, I, they, I, they keep coming up with angles that I haven't thought of, and then they beat me to the punch on it. So, anyway, somebody needs to run a Sarah Palin is crazy ad, just so I can laugh at it, if nothing else. All right, he's Tim Riley.
Uh, from Fort Wainwright, Alaska, Sarah Palin bid farewell to 4,000 troops as they head off to Iraq. Among those was 20-year-old uh, Alaskan governor and Republican vice presidential nominee's son, Track Palin. But apparently, he's not leaving right away. It's going to be a few weeks before he leaves. Did she remember to pack his drugs? I don't know. All right. So she said goodbye. The best way for all of us as a military family is to stick together and to look after one another, as so many do. Mm-hmm. That's the way to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. She said that military families in her state will stand together. That spirit of solidarity runs strong in the Fairbanks community and in the greater Alaska community. And we're going to need to see it through with that solidarity until you're all back home. What does that mean? I don't know. It's like three index cards stapled together. All right. Uh, Pamela Anderson has a few choice words for Sarah Palin. Now, I don't know if you've seen the recent Newsweek article with her, but she uh, has a gigantic bear hide in, I think, her office or her house. I and the can't head is her. almost bigger than her body. She can suck it. <laughs> so not Quote a me. So, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, it, you really did hit on something, by the way, with that Charles and Charlie Gibson thing. They keep calling him Charlie, don't they? Even I was doing it. He's not a Charlie. Look at him. He does. He looks like a Charles. He's Charles. So, uh, it could use a middle initial. So, uh, Bill Clinton forecasts a Democratic victory. I predict that Senator Obama will win and will win pretty handily. There you go. You can take it from the President of the United States. He knows a little something about politics. That's what I think is going to happen. You know, Bill Clinton kind of sounds like a parody of himself sometimes, yeah. doesn't he? Like right there. First of all, he sounded like he couldn't quite get his teeth to touch when he talked. Just sort of a... You get a, you, sometimes you get a little, a little snapshot in your head of what somebody's going to look like when they're 95 and wedding themselves in an old folks' home. Right there. Oh. Ah, ah, ah. That's Bill Clinton. KCMD Portland. Uh, and a CBS radio station. Yes, it was on The View today. It was John McCain. He was asked how he could approve uh, a campaign ad like Lipstick on a Pig, a one that she said was also a lie. McCain defended the ad, saying it wasn't a lie and Barack Obama was wrong. He shouldn't have said it. He shouldn't have said it. He chooses his words very carefully. And this is a tough campaign. Mm-hmm. How about that new video of uh, John McCain being released from a Hanoi prison camp found mysteriously this week? He was asked for his reaction when he watched it. You know, I was thinking that, uh, thank God, I'm, I'm returning home of the obvious uh, emotions that you might think. But I also was so proud to have my comrades, so many of them, survive and come home with me. And uh, it was a grand moment. Takes a long time to finish it, Seth. He really does, boy. You know, about halfway through his statements, I just start to get the, I start to get all, all bored. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, uh, you know, I, what I have to say, the same thing sort of happens when Obama talks because Obama does that thing where everything he says is so uh, sort of a. There are several phrases that he uses and puts together in several sentences. There is, oh, come on! Here's another great idea. What's that? Man, is it just me or are we especially creative recently? We've always been creative recently. Nobody ever notices it. We've always been creative recently. Yeah. Uh, does it, uh, this car is a pure hybrid. You know what somebody else ought to be doing? Here's another great idea. I'm going to give this one out there because I don't have this one. probably takes a little uh, capital to make it work. You know what somebody ought to do? 2008 election refrigerator poetry, but it would just be like the full phrases. Like the, and the Barack one would only have like five tiles. Like the Barack refrigerator poetry would only say like change, hope. Reform, community organizer, uh, you know, and then and then something. My wonderful wife. There you go. And that's like the whole, you know, there. And then like, no, Hillary, you can't be on the ticket. And then the Barack Obama one. It can have a little special tile uh, that's just for his concession speech that he will inevitably give later on this year. Somebody ought to. Okay, here's another one. Somebody right now, 
This is a little great. Here's one for the Republicans. You Republican operatives can have this idea. Because, you know, Republicans are so much about controlling the perception and trying to get the... We were talking about this yesterday. In the conventional wisdom, here's a great thing that Republicans need to start doing right now. Republican operatives, here's a great thing you can do uh, to sort of pile on the Obama-Biden folks who do seem to be losing a little bit of their momentum and footing right now. Republicans, via a website or via whatever... Ought to have some place, they ought to start crafting Obama's concession speech for him. They ought to have some website where you can go and you can give your thoughts uh, and some, like via community consensus or whatever. The Republicans ought to put up some website where you can actually go and help write Obama's concession speech so he has it all ready to go. That's a, that would be a great little gimmick right there. Republicans, okay, Republicans, there's one for you. So some sort of website where you can help Obama write his, uh, his concession speech. You know, so he doesn't have to work on it. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Well, it's half of the annual Beef Bowl at South Dakota State. It is the 42nd time the school's Department of Animal and Range Sciences puts on this event. Who wants a bowl of beef? I mean, apart from me. Well, this is South Dakota. Prior to the Jackrabbits game against Western Illinois, fans are encouraged to stop by the pregame barbecue. Beef specialist Cody Wright said the cost of the meal is well worth it. The barbecue will be held immediately north of the stadium in what's called the backyard, and uh, we will have tickets available there for everybody, and we're charging $7 a plate. And so we'll get you we'll get you full of food. It'll be one of the bigger beef roast beef sandwiches that you've had, so we'll make sure you get a belly full. Wow. That's belly just a, full of beef. A whole bunch of awkward and uncomfortable phrases there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anything that one of the, uh, the presidential uh, tickets ought to be used in a phrase like that, though? Like... You know, here's you know what the thing that Giuliani really. Well, there didn't... was where's the beef way back when. That's uh, the obvious one. Do you remember when Walter Mondale tried to use that line? Yeah. Well, that was embarrassing. That's like when McCain tried to do his like, "Come look at my crib," uh, business with his tour bus. I remember when Walter Mondale was trying to do that where's the beef line. That's just a. Uh, even now that makes me. Is he dead? No, he's still around. All right. Uh, wait, who was I thinking of yesterday? And I swear to God, I thought they were dead. Well, doesn't matter. Um. What was I saying? Blah, blah, blah. Where's the beef? You know, a great thing that Rudy Giuliani did, probably the only really good thing he did in that ill-fated primary campaign of his. What's that? Giuliani had one of the best gimmicks that I have ever seen in presidential politics. Uh, If he had, and I don't know, man, his people must be dumb. The people around Rudy Giuliani, he's a savvy politician. Giuliani's handlers, I think, must be blindingly stupid. Because I could have run that campaign better than they did. Giuliani had the greatest gimmick going. And uh, what he did, and the problem is he had it crumpled up in his pocket like it was an old uh, like laundry note or something. Um, but he had this great thing where he would he would say in that particular voice of his, he would say, you know, as you know now, if you uh, if you have to file the taxes in America, the taxes are the, the the form is so long it's incomprehensible. It's uh, you, you it's five pages long and it's it's seven hundred questions and it's just uh, there's there's no call for that. Taxes are very very difficult. And then he did the greatest little move Giuliani did. He he would take this piece of paper out of his pocket, and he would hold it up, and he would sort of do this, and he would sort of wave it in front of the microphone, and he'd say, now under Giuliani administration, uh, your tax form will be one side of one piece of paper, and it will be ten questions, and no more than that. And he would hold it up, and he would show it to the camera. And it was an 8 by 11 piece, and it was a regular piece of like paper, like printer paper. And he would say, your tax form will be 10 questions. Your taxes will be done on one side of one piece of paper. 10 questions only. That's it. That's all you'll have to do. 
And then he would put it back in his pocket. And he never, first of all, the thing was always like, just like wadded up, like it was a, like it was a $1 bill he'd forgotten about. So that was bad. And he just never made enough of it. Americans respond, because we're all dumb, Americans respond really strongly to gimmicks and to tangible things like that. I quit saying you get hope and change and reform. Tell me my taxes are 10 questions on one side of a piece of paper. I will vote for you. I, I swear to God. If a candidate said to you, let me ask you this. If a candidate said to you, no matter what else we have to do in this country, for the, for the four years I am in office, your gas will be $2 a gallon, and I'll make sure you get 50 pounds of cheese a year. Would that make you more likely to vote for that guy? Maybe. I don't care about the cheese part. Well, probably not. Soy. I care about the cheese, yeah. and yes. If a guy said, look, you vote for me for president, uh, look, we're going to have to do some other stuff, and it might not be pleasant, but you know what? For the four years I am in office, gas... Regular unleaded gas will be $2 a gallon, not one penny more, ever, ever, ever. And a guy will come by your house, and he'll give you five pounds of cheese every month, every month that I am in office. Vote for me. These two things will happen. I would vote for that guy in a heartbeat. You know why? I respond well to concretes. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the City of Angels. to be running this country with us, CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop. Hello, sir. And a very good Friday, sir. How are you, brother? How's life in Los Angeles? Life is good. I, I've not been here very often lately, but uh, life's good. Well, let us take a moment to ponder the life and legacy and work of one Mr. George Putnam. Oh, I, I worked with that guy for many years. Yeah. Uh, passed away, 94, worked almost until the very end, did he yeah. not? He worked, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he died in the hospital, but, uh, yeah, he worked up until just a few days ago he was working. You know, they don't make him like that anymore. They really don't. He was an Iron Man. He was great. They it was a lot of fun. We, uh, I think Paul Harvey's 94 uh, as well. So, I mean, you know, the sad day eventually will come. Uh, yeah, but Paul Harvey doesn't work every day. George still worked every day. Now, is that true? Does Harvey, does he re-record, does he record those things like in bulk and then they just play him back? He must, because he's not even on every day. I hear his son doing a lot of those things now. Yeah, they man, they sound a lot alike. It's a little weird, actually. Yeah. Uh, our marketing director, Susan Reynolds, who you remember from your visit to Portland, she used to work with Paul Harvey and when she was, uh, I think, maybe just getting started. And she would go into, I think, at WLS, maybe, and she would get into the elevator. And, like, I don't know, one time out of ten, she'd get in the elevator, and there'd be Paul Harvey. Uh, just dressed to the nines, probably a thousand years old even then. Uh, but you know that's a you know that's a guy who really is uh, anyway he, he defines workhorse. But yeah, but George Putnam, we would, he I mean, the, the guy did everything. He did uh, you know radio and television. He's you know he did documentaries, many of them crazy. Uh, he was in uh, he had a small little tiny moment in the movie Independence Day, which we love here. So he's yeah. uh, he my favorite thing that he did was when he had the uh, local show called. Uh... Oh jeez, I forgot what it was called. The empty open chair or something like that. And um a guest of his, and I think it was the mayor at the time, didn't show up. It was a live show. Right. And so George says, That's okay, let's go on anyway. And so George would ask these questions. He was going to ask the mayor and he'd say, Let's turn now to the empty chair. <laughs> and the and the camera would pan to the chair. The mayor wasn't there to answer that question and come back to Georgie to ask another question. Let's ask the question now to the empty chair. And the, and the camera would pan over. It was just beautiful. That is fantastic. It, it made such a statement, and, and that mayor was not reelected. I, I believe, based on that, because it was so powerful and it was just so great that he, he didn't let it go. He didn't get another guest. You know, he didn't try and, and uh, dance around it. Right. He just says, "I'm doing my show. If he's not, if he's chicken, that he's not going to be here. I'm still asking the question." That's oh, that see that right there. That's just 
that is the sort of thing that warms my heart. And I, I never saw it. And, but, you know, having even hearing you describe it, it's wonderful. And it makes me want to go find it and watch it. I wonder if that's available anywhere. You know, I don't know. I can, I can find out. I, as I was telling you about it, I, I said, I, I'm thinking to myself, I have to get a copy. I oh. know it's got to be, at least the audio has got to be somewhere. Yeah, that's great. Good for him. But uh, George was great to, I, I, he was great to drink with. You know, and that really does count for a lot in this world. It does. Uh, please now to, uh, please now to tell us about one, uh, one moment or night when you drank with George. Oh, there were several. But, uh, you know, you get a few, a few pops in them. And first of all, he honestly is the nicest guy in the world. He'll talk to anybody, do anything for anybody, you know, that kind of thing. And um, he's still a working man. And he he would just, you'd get a few drinks in him, and he'd tell story after story after story of the good old days. And then he would bring you into that circle. He would He would tell a story that involved you somehow. Right. So that you felt like you were all part of George Putnam's history, which was just a great history. You know, he used to talk about the days when he, he'd uh, hang out with all the stars and, uh, and he had to carry a gun because he was mugged several times. You know, he'd just take the gun out of his waistband and wave it around and show everybody. He was just, he was just a classic. See, and that's a whole era uh, that I just missed out on. I was just never... Uh, I think we just don't have that kind of fraternity anymore in broadcasting in many ways. And... No, you don't. And it's like uh, you know, one of my all-time favorite movies is, is Network, and uh, you know there's the opening couple sequences of Network where they fired Howard Beale, and there's that whole thing where Howard Beale and then William Holden as Max Schumacher are doing that whole thing, and they're they're telling some story about the you know them hanging out with Edward R. Murrow, and you know and, and you know and Cronkite or whatever, and it's just you know and you realize there was sort of a camaraderie there that probably can't be replicated at least in that sense. But you know you, you, in trial like in the O.J. trial and in like the Michael Jackson trial, the stuff that's going on now, you still get a sense of that those good old days. You remember the press rooms in the courthouses yeah. uh, with all the telephones on the tables and everybody waiting around for a verdict or for something to happen. Uh, it's it, that's. That's the only time when I feel like a journalist again, when everybody's in the same room, they all got their stuff there, they're all filing their reports, they're all working off of each Smoking. other. Smoking. What's that? Smoking away. Smoking. Yeah. Smoking, drinking, there's always bottles of scotch laying everywhere. Um, I mean, that that's the closest thing anymore to the way it was. Yeah, and I mean, I you know now we're just let me tell you, kids, you don't know anything about news. But I, but you know, I was I was sort of there for just a, a little bit of the tail end of that from the radio side at least. But yeah, it was certainly you know it's you know what's funny is that one of my one of my favorite films is All the President's Men, mm -hmm. and I was watching All the President's Men part of it I don't know, a couple weeks weeks ago, and you realize how in a blink of an eye that environment is changed and probably gone forever too. That the newsroom. Uh, where everybody is laboring away, putting together the paper into the late night, and you know, they're busting their hump to get the big scoop. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that just uh, that is in the, in the bat of an eyelash that went away uh, probably forever. So just a changing times, my friend. Speaking of of, uh, of trials, though, in OJ, so this so they seated. What is it? They finally got a jury for the OJ thing, yeah, right? Nine men or nine women, three men. Not one African American on the panel. I'm sure that won't be brought up ever again in the future. No, I'm not until the appeal process. Uh, but you know, uh, Yogo Lanter, the defense attorney, says, "Look, you know, uh, he did, tried his best. He thought it was a major concern, but that's not a rule. You don't have to have, uh, and, and that's a lot of people believe you have to have a representation of the community. If there's 23% African Americans in the community, 23% of the jury has to be African American. Right. That's not true. The jury process is very random." It's just sent out, and if you ever, if you've ever been a juror, if you've ever received a summons, there's no ethnicity uh, section on that form. 
So they don't know when they send these jury forms out at random to registered voters uh, if you know who they're going to get. And then out of that pool, you just start whittling people down. They started with 500 and they found 18. And the judge just said, you know, stop your crying. And there's no conspiracy by the prosecution to eliminate Africans Americans, African Americans. This is what we have. So shut up. Not, this is just great. Not not everything is a conspiracy by the man. That's true. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, but they never really do define, you know, it's like we often talk in radio about how um, the, the FCC's favorite phrase, prevailing community standards, is never, ever, ever explained anywhere, ever, 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 ever. They've never given any clarification. And so it is with the jury system when they say jury of your peers, and they never really describe what peers means, except that they're, uh, you know, over the age of 18. Yeah. It just means people. Yeah. That's all it means. It doesn't mean, you know, uh, African-American football players. You know, it does, that's, not what it, that's not what that means. It just means, uh, you know, regular folks are going to be sitting in a, in a box listening to evidence, and they're going to decide. Well, let's be and honest. It's the juries anymore who are the heroes. It's not the prosecutors or the, or the defense attorneys. You know, they're all the same now. And it also does mean, uh, it also means jurors who, A, have a really finely honed sense of civic duty, B, have nothing better to do, C, couldn't quite figure out how to get their boss to write them a note excusing them. I mean, that's what it is. So. Yeah, there was one guy who wrote on his jury questionnaire just all this stuff about O.J. is a murderer, so yeah. is C.J. Stewart. You know, they should be locked up and killed and hung and all this kind of stuff. And it was a real crazy thing. And he admitted when he was questioned that he wanted everybody to think he was crazy so they wouldn't keep him on the jury. <laughs> but now he wants to serve. He really believes that he could, he, that he can listen to... What's happening? The judge did a great job of explaining what their job was, because I think everyone was concerned about the outcome of the 1995 trial, the outcome of the civil trial, and now what, how that's going to be tied into this. But I think the judge did a real good job of explaining to them, first of all, the 1995 trial was an acquittal, so as far as the law is concerned, O.J. was never in a courtroom. Right. It never happened. The civil trial will definitely come into play at some point. But their job is not about murder. It's about kidnapping and armed robbery. And it is just the evidence and the testimony in this case. And if they can confine themselves to that, they got nothing to worry about. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, never mind. We'll have, we'll have many, many, many more opportunities to talk about this as your life turns into a living, breathing, 110-degree hell. So uh. <laughs> there you go. It was all worth it for that sound right there. <laughs> all right, brother. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. James Roop, ladies and gentlemen, in Los Angeles. Okay, so I, I found that National Weather Service warning. For Houston. Wait, hold on. Uh, this is the National Weather Service warning you're saying, Tim. For Houston and Galveston Bay. This is for the shoreline of Galveston Bay from the National Weather Service in Houston. 15 to 22 feet life-threatening inundation likely. All neighborhoods, possibly entire coastal communities, will be inundated during the period of peak storm tide. Persons not heeding evacuation orders in the single family, one or two-story homes will face... Certain death. Once again, persons not heeding evacuation orders in single-family one- or two-story homes will face certain death. That is for the Galveston Bay oh, area only. Oh, yeah, that's not only. for here, by no, the no. way. Yeah, that's <laughs> for the Galveston Bay area only. That's the Texas. Weather Service. That's in Texas. Yes. I guess we should there clarify. There's no Galveston Bay here. <laughs> not, not here. This is in Houston? Not your. Do not want. In Texas. Galveston yeah. is in uh, 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 in Texas. 
If you're listening to us in Texas, that applies uh, to maybe you. to you. They did not hear, though. That's no. not for anybody in Oregon. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. That was just a little bit of fun. Facing. What with the sound effects? Yes. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, certain death, though. But you know what it is? That's them overselling it because they undersold it last time and everybody got hosed. Right. So, uh, all right. Here's Tim Riley. Well, talk about something unusual. How about a six-foot-tall girl? Never heard of such a thing. A six-foot-tall girl, basketball star, won her battle to play on the boys' league at the Hoop in Beaverton. Apparently, parents are not hired a lawyer. Jamie Norrett is a 12-year-old who is already over six feet tall. She was told in April by the Hoop that she could no longer play in its league because a policy what? prevents mixed-gender teams. Hold on. KS the Hoop. The hoop, apparently, some basketball club. All right, so where is this? Beaverton. Beaverton. She's a six foot tall girl. She's how old? She is. Uh, let's see here. Twelve. All right, and she wants to play basketball with the boys. And is this a public school or is this a league of some kind that the city I, does? I believe this sounds like some private institution. And they wouldn't that let her has leagues. And they wouldn't let her play, and the parents are suing. Mm-hmm. Well, but uh, whatever. I don't really care. I'm not a twelve year old girl, nor am I a basketball fan. I, I thought no, you're six feet tall. You're only five eleven. That's true. I don't know Thank too you. many women who are over six feet tall. I thought the I thought private um, leagues could just keep out whoever they wanted, but I don't really care. Don't call about it. It doesn't matter to me. Oh, that's all. No. Storm. Storm's like six feet, isn't she? Storm is six feet tall. I do yeah. believe. Yes. So this is a little bit different because the YMCA of Columbia will have it took over the operation of the hoops facilities in August 2008. The YMCA is not a public organization, though. They are a privately yeah. run organization, mm-hmm. I believe. And as such, it seems like they could have men's only. Uh, who cares? I don't even and care. And M is for men. It's not YW. That's right. That, that After months of negotiations, the two sides agreed to allow Nered to participate in the boys' league. So they is know- she just too? Is she so much better, do you suppose, than the rest of the girls, or at least taller so, than yeah. she just? Or maybe there isn't. Well, maybe there How isn't. Twelve-year-old boys are six feet tall. Maybe there isn't a. Uh, there certainly wasn't. Maybe there's no women's league. Maybe there is no YWCA team. Oh, that could be. I would see that. See, that's a thing. Maybe maybe there's just no no opportunity for her mm-hmm. to play in that. Well, whatever. I don't care. Let her play. Quit being jerks about it. I mean, come on. Let the girl play. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, whatever. If it's a private group, I guess you can, I guess you ought to be allowed to keep out whoever you want if you're a private group. But on the other hand, it makes you look like a dick. So why don't you not do that? I mean, seriously, you know, can everybody just agree to grow up for the right. love of sweet zombie Jesus? There's not enough for girls out there. She, I mean, what is their problem? You know what it is. The problem is that she's going to go out there and she's going to school all the boys, mm-hmm. and then they're going to feel emasculated, and they won't be able to uh, look themselves in the eye. That's just it. She's probably just better than them. Well, yeah. you know what? So, you know what, dude? Get get used to it. You're going to spend most of your life with women making you feel dumb and stupid and inferior and emasculating you, and that's just the way of the world. So yes. why don't you suck it up and quit being such babies? Jesus. So stop it. I mean, seriously. They're just girls. She's not from Mars. She doesn't have typhus. So cheer up. Yeah, I, and I hate people. All right, well, here's Tim Riley. Well, let's do a penis watch. Here's a. Are we balancing the other yes, side? Tim, having just advocated for her to play with the boys, we're uh, for the other side of the aisle. Equal time. my troubles start melting away. I take a look at my enormous penis. Everything is going my way. And then before we do that, I mean, seriously, get bent. What is their problem? I went from not caring to now being all angry about it. This seems like one more thing we don't need to be arguing about. I mean, we could be we could be spending this time arguing about whether Fringe is just a bad X-Files ripoff. The league policy prevents mixed-gendered teams. Does it say why? Other than it's always, it's always been that way? Mm-hmm. Whatever. You know, you can't protect the, the world from rednecks and rubes, Tim. 
Well, that's that. All right. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. I'm going to quit. But they let her, but she's going to play, right? Yes. Man, I hope she creams everybody. I, I, hope she, I hope she gives a guy an elbow right in the throat. Makes him cry. Siri, that would be great. I hope she, I hope she makes boys cry. That would be deeply satisfying, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, like five minutes ago, not, we didn't care. And, in fact, I was saying on this program that I don't care. Now I'm actually, now I'm hoping that it's flying elbows, knees to the groin, and that she makes boys cry at night. There you go. Good for her. Here's Tim Riley. Play that song, Boys Don't Cry. Meanwhile, three people are shot dead, two others fighting for their lives after a mark during a patron's penis eyes escalated into a bloodbath in some uh, small town somewhere in uh, India? I guess so. Horrified customers attacked undercovers. Government opened fire at the Merseyside pub. Five men, including two police officers, were arrested at 4 a.m. Bad time to be making penis jokes. Police said uh, Nick Jansen, Van Restenberg, and Rory Mendez were both shot in the chest, and Sean Straden was shot in the head. All three men died at the scene. Two men were wounded, and others rushed to a local hospital. The two groups of men have been inside the tavern uh, watching the World Cup qualifying game between England and Croatia. At some stage, one man in each group went into the uh, tavern's toilets, and oh. there was an argument over the size of their penises. Really? Mm-hmm. When the men returned to their seats, the argument escalated. At some stage, some of the men went outside, and there was a scuffle. One group returned to the tavern to watch the game. The other remained outside. The men then went to their cars, opened their hoods, so to speak, and returned to the tavern, where they opened fire on five men. Wait, I don't understand. Wait, hold on. So the two guys who were arguing about it went outside, or, or two yeah. guys from one of the groups? Yeah, one of the groups. All right, I see. Okay. The shooters then uh, casually uh, exited the tavern, jumped in their vehicles, and then took off. If I may just sort of revisit the last topic a little bit. Men, this is why people don't take us seriously, because you're shooting each other in a bar after a discussion of your member's size in the toilet, which... It should be said, looks a little weird. So, mm-hmm. there you go. All right, so, really, uh, just can't protect the world from stupid people. You can't be talking about penises at four in the morning in a bar. Well, I mean, look, I understand that women do all kinds of stupid things as well. I can't really think of anything that's an equivalent to this, though. Women, there's really no analog to this in the female world. Women don't go into the bathroom and then argue about the size of uh, each other's bosoms, I would think. Uh, probably some women do. Do they really, though? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard of women getting into a fight about the size of their breasts? There are very stupid women. Well, that's true. And they're very stupid men. I mean, stupid people exist regardless of gender. I'm just saying, like, the penis thing. I mean, obviously, blah, 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 penis men. But I'm saying that fighting with each other over the size of your junk, that is a thing that only guys would do. I mean, really, that's just... Uh, the women are dense in all kinds of ways, and so are guys. But this is a way in which only guys are dense. This is guys just do some retarded crap, and this is this is that ridiculous so, foolishness. A bunch of uh, it's a bunch of tomfoolery. Yeah. Oh, Jinx, one, two, three, bam! Not it. Uh, that's your penis watch. Yeah. Take right. a look at my enormous penis. Uh, we'll do one call here, and I'll break. Richie's saying that girls don't have junk to fight over. Richie, I think someone needs to. Uh, Someone needs to read another textbook. I mean, I guess maybe they can't fight over the same. I'm going to quit talking about it. Uh, let's, uh... And then we got more zombie names. Scott Daly, top five, worst song. La, 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 la. Here's uh, whoever this is. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Sir, I'm out hey, of the case, maybe. What's up, Rick? This what do you Brian. got? Hey. Hey, listen, I just want to make a quick comment about that. Uh, the girl that wants to play basketball. Yes, sir. I don't think that the fact that she might beat the crap out of the boys and make them all look bad. Mm-hmm. However, being 12, that might be an issue. The big issue goes back to, like, when uh, 
the NBA was trying to decide whether they wanted to or to not have female referees. And I think it was Charles Barkley that came out and said, you know, I don't mind having a female referee, but with all the problems of liability and suing nowadays, uh, you know, on the basketball court, you're kind of an aggressive person full of adrenaline. You say something wrong like a female derogatory term, and now you're in a huge lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I could see that, but I I guess I was going to say at a certain point we need to just quit being so freaking litigious, but that's clearly not going to happen. Well, but that wouldn't hold up in court. No, no, it's true. I mean, you know, I got to I gotta believe, though, that if you're a W, like, for example, in the, the NBA, here's a dumb question. I don't know. Let me ask you this question. I don't know anything about sports. I know zero about sports, really, in the grand scheme of things. I know a little bit about boxing. And I know a little bit about the uh, the the Raiders when they were Oakland the first time around. That's that's about it. Uh, and I know about Quidditch. Uh, other than that, uh, I have zero sports knowledge. So let me ask you a question: Are you a basketball fan? Yeah, generally speaking, sure. Okay. In your estimation, sir, and I ask this only because I'm curious. In your estimation, are there WNBA players who would be good enough to hold their own in the NBA? And I don't really care what the answer is. I'm just curious. You know, it, well, in my personal opinion, there may be a few scattered out there. Um, but, you know, again, I mean, you, you take a woman who, of course, would be very large by female standards, mm-hmm. so six one, six two, whatever, and you put her up against, I mean, you know, what if Shaq bumps her in the mouth? And I mean, it'll knock her head off. I mean, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but I never bothered John Stockton. Well, yeah. And John Stockton's yeah, a, he is only six one. Yeah, he's an NBA midget. Yeah. You know, well, I, I guess there there would be a few gals out there who probably could hold their own. Well, i got to say, I've, I've interviewed, uh, I don't remember where I was, I think maybe at KOTK, I had some, some WNBA players in the studio for like 10 minutes because somebody thought it was a good idea. And yeah. I can tell you, they're, they're massive. I mean, they're yeah. huge, like 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 Futurama snoo-snoo women. I mean, they, they pick you up and break you over their leg. Exactly. So, you know, in, in answer to that, then, you know, maybe there wouldn't be any women that uh, that, that could handle the... You know, not only the size, but just the aggressive nature of the sport. I don't know. They seemed fairly aggressive. I, uh... well, I, I guess I'll say this. Lawsuits aside, I'm sure that there, there, there are some that could probably do okay. I just think it would be a big draw, don't you? I mean, financially speaking, let's leave aside the issue of whether or not they, they, they would sue, which it doesn't really seem like they would. I don't think I've ever heard of an athlete suing another athlete for something they said on, on the field, men or women. I don't think I've ever heard of that. But doesn't it seem to you, financially speaking, that it would be a financial draw for the NBA if they had female players, uh, you know, if they were, you know, able to hold their own? Uh, well, Seems like that makes some money, make it more interesting. Is it a financial draw to the WNBA? Well, no, but, but again, because that's less because that's less interesting. No, that's true. You know, I, honestly, I guess if, if each team had their token gal, who was actually a pretty decent player. <laughs> Be sure you call I, her that, too. I, I, I guess I'd go ahead and watch a couple games. Yeah, she did. All right. I mean, I don't, I don't really you know, I don't really care. And it's not like some battle of the sexes thing to me. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to play basketball no, regardless. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying girls can't or shouldn't play. That's for definite. Definitely not for, you know, what I'm trying to say. I'm saying if I was an NBA owner, if I owned a team, and I maybe my team wasn't getting a whole lot of attention, or I needed to get more, more seats uh, filled, uh, or I was just trying to get a little heat on myself, it seems like I might really push to have some, uh, you know, some huge Amazon woman on the team. It seems like it would be interesting, if nothing else, and Americans respond really well to gimmicks. And that's her nickname right there. It would be huge Amazon woman. All right. There you go. Thank you, sir. Have a good one, Rick. All right. There you go. And now taking the field, token chick. All right. Back after this. Um, what the hell are we doing around the corner? More news from Tim Riley. 
Uh, later on, we'll talk to uh, Scott Daly uh, from Film Fever Radio. Uh, we have uh, It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard, uh, Redux, and uh, perhaps High Concept Friday if we have time. Plus, more of your calls. We're still looking for the term for Zombie Collective. Stay there. And if you will, You know, there are a few things funnier than a well-timed fake laugh. Like just now when I was saying, how about a Dylan of zombies? And just started the ha-ha-ha. Resumed eating. Okay, here's a good one. Let's see. We're trying to come up with a, trying to come up with a name for a collective of zombies. I think what we'll do is we'll pick the best ten, and then on Monday we'll put them on the website and have everybody vote, and then we'll come up with it, and then we'll make a grand public announcement about it. Um, oh, don't forget, also coming next week, we're going to talk uh, in studio to the five semifinalists. The birth of a salesman contest. Uh, if you have not been notified, don't worry about it. We're going to notify people uh, more than likely this weekend. You get a phone call or an email or something. But uh, we're going to try to uh, start that on Monday. We're going to have the five semifinalists. Uh, they'll each come to the studio. We'll grill them for a while. And then at the end of the week, we'll pick three who meet with general sales manager Michael Fashana. Uh, maybe one of them gets the gig. Uh, you know, who knows? So, so far, we get a fester of zombies, slobber of zombies, flesh of zombies, menace of zombies. Horde of zombies, blister of zombies, slaughter of zombies, stagger of zombies, a scourge of zombies, a craze of zombies, a crew of zombies, that's with an umlaut, a fog of zombies, an imus of zombies, a dread of zombies, I kind of like that one, uh, a craven of zombies, that's good too, a panic of zombies, a hork of zombies, a groan of zombies, a stain of zombies, a scab of zombies, and finally, yes, a rob of zombies. <laughs> Let's do oh, a, that is my favorite. Do a few calls, then we'll uh, talk to uh, Tim Riley, who has more news for us later on. Scott Daly, and so forth, and the whatnot. And the uh, hi, who are you? Hi, it's me, Judy. Hi, how can I help you today? Um, I'd like to offer one more. Oh, uh, yes, go ahead. How about dedicated zombies? D E A D. Like a dedicated of like zombies? Dedicated Emersonians. Oh, this would be sort of a description of their personality or or behavior. Style. Yeah, only spelled D E A D. Dedicated. Excellent. All right. How about a dead of zombies? That's pretty good. You can actually Ooh. shorten that to a dead of zombies. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. You guys rock. All Bye, right. Sarah. Bye, Tim. Bye. Bye now. Bye. All right. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. It's your resident Amazon. Hello. Hi. Uh, Diana, how are you? I'm doing well. I right. just had to say that if I was uh, about 30 years younger and actually had athletic skill, yeah, I'd, I'd be trying out for... NBA, WBA uh, if, uh If I may ask, uh, how tall are you? I'm six foot. Okay. So, they, yeah, see, and, and i got to tell you, there's probably few people I know that you couldn't drop with one punch, sister. Well, at least when I was younger. Uh-huh. I was, uh, I, I've simmered down in my old age. I know you don't like to brag about it. I know that you try to only use your power for good now. Well, that, that's always been true. Right, excellent. Uh, I have another name for zombies. Yes. A zealot of zombies. Hey, that's pretty good because it's got the Z thing going on. A zealot of zombies. And they are pretty dang zealous when they're trying to get your brain. It is true. No, they're single-minded is what they are. All yes, right. they are. Excellent. Thank All you. Right. There you go. Hi, Sarah. Bye, Tim. Bye. Bye. All right. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. Hello. Hi. Hey, I just wanted to give you a little breaking news. Yes, sir. There is a major fire out on the... Uh, I-84 at Hood River. This is closed. Yeah. I-84 is now closed near the fire, near the city of Hood River. Wow. So I'm that's... I, I was, thought I was getting on top of that one. You have to get up pretty early to beat Tim Riley, but we do appreciate your supplemental. Did you see it, sir, or did you drive by it? What was your deal? I was actually coming out of the river, and it was um, to the east of me, so I didn't see the actual fire, but I could sure see the smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this was like with that Friday when you were gone, Tim. 
Uh, I think when you were going to maybe Seattle or something, and then there was it, it was a horrible day. There was like three different fires, and everything was closed. Darn it, I missed it. An accident. So, uh, all right, excellent. Thank you for the update, sir. Hey, best damn show ever. Thank you, my friend. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Tim Riley. Once again, the I-84 is closed near the city of Hood River as a brush fire is burning in the Columbia River Gorge. More breaking news. Dateline, Alaska. A state Senate Judiciary Committee has voted 3-2 to two to subpoena 13 people, including the husband of Governor Sarah Palin, in an investigation of whether Palin abused her power and tried to get her former brother-in-law fired. A legislative probe has taken on new significance since Republican candidate John McCain picked Palin as his running mate. Apparently, retired prosecutor Stephen Branchflower asked the state House and Senate Judiciary Committees for power to subpoena 13 witnesses. So be it. That's what's happening now. In addition to authorizing subpoenas of those witnesses, most of whom are state officials, the committee okayed subpoenaing the cell phone records of Frank Bailey, a Palin aide who was placed on leave last month. Apparently, Bailey was caught on tape discussing personal information, raising the question about how much he knew. So that's all we know. Who would this play... investigation is known as Troopergate. Who would, uh, who would play Todd Palin in the film, do you think, other than Scotty J? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm I mean, look at his face again. He's a tool. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Are you calling Scotty a tool? Uh, no, but I'm saying physically. Facially, they look, they look very similar. Uh, Todd Palin looks like a real gum chewer. Yeah. That's, my, that's what my friend Kurt used to say. It's a, I think it's a Philadelphia thing. He, he, Snowmobilist. He looks like a tool user. He really does. He, uh, he's just, uh, he, he, he looks, um, he looks not all that, uh, not all that sharp. That would just be my estimation. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? He, I no, he doesn't look very bright. But see, but that, but why? Why? What is it about? I think it's something in the eyes. He looks very blank. He, there's something about him. And again, I don't pretend to know, but I'm just saying, based on how he looks, he doesn't look very smart. He does look a little dull, and I can't quite figure out what makes him that way. He looks very dull. You know what I mean? Sort of dullard. Not not all that bright. He looks. There's not much to be excited about in Alaska. I guess. Although, if you look carefully, you can see Russia. Uh, on a clear day, Tim. Maybe he's been squinting too much. Maybe that's what that look in the eye comes from. Maybe Helping he's his uh, wife with foreign policy. Maybe he's busy. Um, maybe. Out Russia. You know, I can almost see as like a um, like a thinner uh, Ricky Gervais. Oh, I could see that. Oh, Ricky Gervais. No, I could. I could see that. No, no, no. That's well done. Um, maybe he's busy being proud of his Eskimo heritage, Tim. <laughs> that could be. All right. Uh, and Tim Riley, by the way, Tim is a man who, uh, Tim knows a thing or two about uh, the Eskimo heritage, don't you, Tim? I do, yes. What would that be? What would the Eskimo heritage be? I don't know. Reminds me of that Robert Trost film. You know, Miles can go before we sleep. Hey, you can't hear a thing I'm saying without a scarf around your face. I'll say we have Miles to go before we sleep. We're lost. Hey, wait a minute. Listen. Sounds like a snowmobile. What's the matter? You lost? Yes, we are. Oh, my name Pierre. I take you out of woods on my Arctic Cat snowmobile. Oh, how can I thank you? Mm-hmm. Times were different. Lady, oh, come on, baby. Sit in front with me. Skinny boyfriend, you sit in back. You know, that was made before Sarah Dillon was born. Ah, uh, yes, it was. Uh, I'm Pierre. I have. I ethnic stereotype here to sell consumer goods. Such a nice ride. Arctic Cat is independent suspension. I feel so powerful. <laughs> I like how he doesn't know how to use articles correctly, but he knows independent suspension. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right. Well, well he's a well-educated Eskimo. And Tim Riley as the Eskimo. Right, that won an award, by the way. Really? Did it? Yeah. You're making that up. No, I'm not making that what up. What award could that have possibly won? No it, offense. It won, it won a Greta Tier Award for the uh, best radio commercial in New Hampshire. 
And it's called the Graniteer because New Hampshire is the Granite State. And I thought that that would be my ticket to fame, and it was not. But we're still playing it today, aren't we? The Graniteer. All right. It's a piece of granite. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Tim Riley. So we're starting to get uh, some reports in from this uh, this hurricane that's supposed to touch down in Galveston tonight. Somebody sent along this from a Houston television station, so let's uh, watch and listen to it, find out what's happening here. We're on the west end of the Galveston seawall. We're taking a pretty serious beating. The storm is still a couple of hundred miles away, several hours away, and uh, tropical force winds aren't anywhere near yet. But look at the way this seawall has taken a pounding. Wow. It's been here for more than a century. It was wow. erected after the, the great storm of 1900. Oh, my the God. Deadly, the deadly... Uh, that guy's been owned. Yeah. In fact, the, the waves are so strong. Owned by when God. When they hit the seawall, solid concrete, there's a big whoosh. And it's like there's a change in the air, and you can actually feel it impacting the seawall. We're going to move to uh, higher ground and hopefully drier ground. Back to you. We're, li- we're here on the uh, e- uh, west end of the Galveston Gal- seawall. Back to you. Whoa, that guy just got pwned by the weather right yeah. there. That is scary. You should put that on your blog, Tim. Uh, if you have a, uh, when you have a moment, I think the, the people might like to see that. I, I think I will. Um, wow, that was that was really intense right there. Did you like that? Yeah, I mean, I did, you know, it was, it was sort of choppy, and then a huge wave came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, again, people who are ignoring the evacuation warning in Texas, and we do have some listeners down there, uh, you are facing, quote, certain death. Certain so death. they really can't be, do we all agree at this point that they can't have been, it couldn't have been much clearer, and if you stay behind... Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's on you, brother. So uh, certain death is what you're facing. Uh, so once again, uh, we do uh, want to note, by the way, as we get closer to the afternoon, that because of Hurricane Ike, Ike, yes, that's what it is, Ike, Ike. because of Hurricane uh, Ike, uh, it's going to be hitting Texas, and Texas has Waco, and Waco is where the Cougars are playing football, and the Cougar football game was scheduled to be early tomorrow morning. Uh, the Cougar football game has been moved to today, uh, so that will be preempting part of Tom Likas today. So around 4.30 today, uh, Cougar football will be broadcasting, so uh, our apologies for any inconvenience in advance. And to uh, Cougar fans who we're going to be listening to tomorrow, uh, today's WSU Cougar football game, instead of being tomorrow morning, it will be today, 4.30, uh, because of the hurricane. So, so is I'm that at, in uh, near Waco, what, where this is happening? Is that near Waco? Uh, Texas is big. I don't know where anything that's is. That's huge. Yeah, that's that It's mostly dirt. Is this the fire in Hood River? That's yeah. Mm-hmm. That's massive. So the I-84 is closed down at Hood River due to a massive fire in the gorge. All right. And, uh, you don't want to go there anyway. No. And somebody said, well, no, I just got this email. It says, um, says, I don't know if the fire is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm supposed to go to Kennewick today. So Fires are bad things, always. And this one says, how about a palin of zombies? That's not bad. Here's Tim Riley on yes. KCMD Portland. Why, it's almost 2 o'clock already, isn't it's it? It's 2 o'clock. It is. Two o'clock right now. By the way, you know who's you know who this guy nails it. This is Randy in Vegas. You know who plays Todd Palin? Uh, he is played by Brian O'Halloran, who was Dante in the Clerks. That is it. You have won, sir. You are made out of you are made out of wind. That is it. All right, here's Tim Riley. You made out of wind? Wit. Oh. Wind. What? <laughs> I don't we know. We are here on the west end of the guy. Stop it. Let's stop. Okay, we got too many things going on here at once. I'm trying to get organized. Look anyway. Uh, Jennifer Lopez has canceled her appearance as a guest judge on the Project Runway finale. Uh, this morning, Heidi Klum announced that J-Lo will be absent for the Bryan Park event due to a foot injury. The announcement was made in New York as the Project Runway Season 5 finale fashion show is now underway. Uh, so she won't be on after all. She had been training for the triathlon. Why is she training for triathlon? That's what it says here. It's another lie, obviously. It remains committed to raising money for children. 
<laughs> that, okay. That's, that's a, just too many lies. They just <laughs> grabbed a bunch of crap out of a bag and stuck it together in a story. Mm-hmm. All right. And, it's, it's a, by the way, it's, a, it's an indication of how little we care about her that we didn't even bother to do a J-Lo watch. I kind of forgot that J-Lo watch even existed. Here's Tim Riley. A uh, bizarre case in Wisconsin. Uh, it centers on the man having sex with his comatose wife in a nursing home. An appeals court has agreed for, for a lower court ruling that essentially throws out videotaped evidence of David Johnson having the encounter with his wife. He is a 59-year-old minister who's charged with second-degree sexual assault on an unconscious person. Yeah. His wife. Yeah. This unfolded when the administrator of the nursing home had a camera set to try to catch Johnson having sex with his wife. Why were they trying to do that? However, the appeals court ruled in favor of the lower court decision that the reverend had an expectation of privacy while visiting Wait, his wife. Wait, is this the same as the clergy watch I pulled for you over there? Well, let me look here. Secret sex. Yes, it is. Oh, wait a minute. Is this the same thing? Should we just do it as a clergy watch to be safe? Yes. Okay, well, let's do the Here's a clergy watch. We'll do this, then we'll take a break and we'll come back. Uh, here's a clergy watch for a Friday of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Oh, well, I guess your clergy watch for so Friday. Continuing with the story. This case raises a number of issues, including a nursing home's obligation to protect the health and safety of a patient, an individual right to privacy, and questions of uh, marital sexual abuse. So, according to this, on June uh, something of 2005, after David W. Johnson had been loud and abrasive with employees at the Divine Savior Nursing Home in Portage, of course, an employee reported that uh, Johnson had touched his wife in a way that may have been sexually inappropriate. His wife, who's now 53, uh, suffered from a stroke earlier in 2005, required total care. Johnson, who had closed door of visits with the home's knowledge in the past, was uh, not told of this waiver. Police obtained a search warrant, allowing them to place a hidden video camera in the woman's room. Wait, so she's... Comatose. It, she's... Oh, that ain't right. No, this is all bad. Uh, many reasons. So they obtained a search uh, warrant, allowing them to place a hidden video camera in the woman's room. During three weeks of surveillance, Johnson was seen having sex with his wife and was charged... Who is in a coma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, even by clergy standards, that's revolting. Yeah. I mean, even re- really... Uh, I mean, even, even though he is a man of the cloth. Even, I was going to say, even, even by standards of men of God, that's a horrifying story. Mm-hmm. So three different times, they catch him on camera... Having sex with his wife, who is in a coma. Mm-hmm. Why would they wait three times, do you suppose? Maybe the first time was by accident, like he tripped? Could have been. All right. That's disgusting. There's your clergy watch for Friday. Let's take a break, for the love of God. Uh, more news from Tim Riley at the bottom of the hour. Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio. Perhaps High Concept Friday. Maybe a song. Maybe a dance. Maybe we'll juggle. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Tell you that he's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is a friend of mine. 
program. I found it from my mind. Facebook. Really? Mm-hmm. This is Sunseed. Jesus is a friend of mine. They're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. And mine. Once I tried to run, I tried to run and hide. But Jesus came and found me and he touched me down inside. <laughs> he is like a mountain. He always gets his man. And he'll zap you any way he can. dum ba bum bum and I've only heard the song it three times, and it's already stuck in my head. I know where the little breakdowns are. I know where the solo is. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? A palin of zombies. A groan of zombies. He loves me when I'm quiet and I have nothing to say. He'll love me when I'm perfect if I ever get that way. Uh, Come up here in a short while. We'll talk to Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com. Tim Riley returns for the Ministry of Truth later on with more news. Uh, We will do probably either High Concept Friday uh, or a Top 5 later on. It remains to be seen. Also, as the day rolls on, we're attempting to uh, find the term for a collective of zombies. The term for a collective of zombies. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, I got a couple for you. One is obvious, a swarm of zombies. A swarm of zombies, that's good. Yes. The other's kind of the unconventional, like a pride or a pack of lions, but it's a menace of zombies. I actually, no, to, the, the, actually, I of all people, of all the other ones uh, on this list, actually, I came up with menace of zombies. So oh, you and I, sir, I no, I'm just saying, you and I, we have a little thing, a little mind meld. The great minds thinking similarly, sir. Well, I hope so. All right, there you go. A menace of zombies. What was the other one? A uh, swarm. A swarm of zombies. Swarm or, of zombies or, is good. If it's before a 28 days later kind of thing, a shuffling of zombies, perhaps? A shuffling of zombies. Zombies can't run. Or a following of zombies. Shuffling, following. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rick. All right. So we're trying to stay away from ones that have already been used, like you know, like a murder or anything. We're trying to come up with our new one, right? I'm trying to come up with one. That's why swarm is good, but we wouldn't use that problem. I'm trying to find one that's not already been applied to some kind of life form. Uh, again, like Murder of Crows, Pack of Lions, or Pride of Lions, or, you know, whatever. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey. I, just, I, uh, I had a good idea for fell one. Fell into a wall there. What? <clears throat> yes, what? I, uh, I had a good idea for one. Yes. A uh, shamble of zombies. A shamble of zombies. Isn't there, already, isn't there something that's already a shamble? Am I wrong about that? Uh, Well, a shambling is just kind of how they walk, you know, that kind of limping... Shuffling forward, right? You know, just kind of a. Oh, you know why I'm thinking that actually. Here's okay. Here's how I might hold on a shamble of zombies. Here is why I'm thinking that there was already shamble in the zombie world because in Quake, uh, the video game oh, uh, yeah, from the Pokemon the Shamblers. there was a oh, shambler. Uh, I hated those things, and it was basically like a, yeah, like a huge grizzly bear or a huge polar bear that shot lightning. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Quake was a game that had any number of zombies who yes would 
tear off sections of their own flesh and throw it at you as a weapon. So that's why I'm thinking shambler zombies. But no, 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 good one there. Well All done. Righty. All right, thank you. Best show ever. Bye. Uh, an Ike of zombies. No. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How about a horde of zombies? We got a horde of zombies, uh, and I think horde is actually somebody pointed out the preferred term by Max Brooks, who wrote the Zombie Survival Guide in World War Z. So that's on the page. We'll probably put up a, like a thing where we can vote on the top ten or something next week. All right. Love you, Rick. Thank you. All, All right. right. Uh, let's do one more here, and uh, then we will uh, have uh, Scott Daly join us here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Well, I was going to suggest that it would be a reason for you to call Max Brooks was to ask him what he would prefer. Hey, that's not a bad idea. You know, we've had him on the show once. Maybe I could do a, we could do a follow-up with him about this. Yeah, I loved it when he was on. So I was just like, this would be another reason to have him on. Oh, so. yeah. All right. We, we, we might actually do that. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll get the whole list today. We'll narrow it down to ten. We'll have people vote. Then we can make some sort of press release about it. And as part of the press release, attempting, as we always do, to wring shameless whoring for ourselves out of all that we do, we can maybe uh, get Max Brooks to sign off on it. There you go. All right. Excellent. I like your also, style. Well, thank you. Also, did you know there was a G.I. Joe movie coming out? What? You mean a live action film? Uh, yeah. Dennis Quaid. I sort of heard rumblings about that, but I realized as we sort of got into the development of that story that I didn't really care, which is less about my interest in G.I. Joe, which I do have, and more about the fact that I hated the Transformers movie so much, and so I kind of divorced myself from that news. Just go on to IMDb and do the picture search. There's a woman with red hair in black leather. Well worth the shot. Hold on a second. Let's let's do that live. Hold on one second. <laughs> IMDb, and then am I, am I putting in, what am I searching? You know, you can type in Dennis Quaid and look at his filmography, and it'll be like the newest recent thing, and then go to photos, and it'll be right there. What is Dennis Quaid playing in the G.I. Joe film? He's uh, General... General Hawk. He's General Hawk. Thank All right, you. here we go. G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra. Uh, do, am I going to photos? Yeah, go to photos. Photos, see all ten. All right, yeah, I am... It would be, I think, number two or three. I might be wrong. I'm now looking at... Oh, uh, here we go. Hot Girl Black Leather. Why, hello. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, she, uh, that is, uh, she is, uh, Rachel Nichols. Yes. She's, uh, Scarlet. Okay, remind me to ask Mr. Skin next week if she's done, uh, she's ever done nudity. She was in Charlie, wait, she was in Charlie Wilson's War. You know who she was? She, have you seen Charlie Wilson's War, sir? Yes, she's one of his secretaries. She's one of his incredibly hot secretaries who always seems to be falling out of a blouse. Well yes. done. Well done, G.I. Joe film. All right, thank you for the heads up, sir. No problem. All right, you thank you. You too. All right, Bye. there you go. Uh, all right, uh, let us now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from FilmFeverRadio.com, uh, our good friend, compatriot, colleague, reviewer of films, lover of things, fourth healing, healing time here, vamping, Hi. Scott Daly. Hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Hello, my friend. I'm doing all right. How, how, are goes you your, uh, how goes your Friday? It's a Friday. Were you here two weeks ago? Yes, I was. Seems like forever since you've been here. I don't know why. Don't do that. Wow. Sorry. Uh, that might be uh, the springs are real tight. Okay. All right. No, yeah, I was here two weeks ago. Um, I don't think I've reviewed anything. Are but... you wearing a suede shirt? No. Or, you know what I mean? Or like a... Hold on. Let me... That's just cotton. All it's right. very well ironed. Can you, can you do me for drop his mic ever so slightly? The people on the live stream will be deafened by your stentorian delivery. Well, that's what I do. Hi, Sarah Dillon. Hello, Scott Daly. How are you? Doing well. How about yourself? Outstanding. Hey, how long does it take to get from here to the Rockfest place? Well, it is from here to my my place in St. Helens is about 40 minutes. Tack on another 10 minutes. So about right. 50, and I'll probably add another 5 or 10. Tra traffic, traffic and so forth. All right. Yeah, okay. so going through. And be careful. Those of you who are driving out to Rockfest, especially speed during Rockfest, speed trap like Dude, crazy. I, uh, Even I, on a normal day. I went out last year, and I mean, it was just cops 
everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And you know what, especially, and this should go without saying, uh, on the way back. Yep. When Rockfest lets out, uh, I got a feeling that that town, I don't know, what, what town is Columbia Meadows actually in? It's actually between, it's actually just after Columbia City, between Deer Island and Columbia City. Right, okay. Uh, so. I don't know what their town, I don't like, I don't know what, what their operating budget is, but I got a feeling they raise about 60% of it around Rockfest by issuing tickets. This is year. a big day. This and, yeah. uh, they do something else out there. I think the Warped Tour was there this year? Maybe. Yeah, Columbia Meadows. Yeah, yeah, it was actually because yeah. Joni had the, because uh, Sydney was going all the so way So the areas around. to yeah. watch out for are between Cornelius Pass and Scapoose. Yes. Because it drops from 55 to 45. Instantly. Like no, seriously. And they do yeah. this insane thing. And you're right, where the speed limit drops. And there's no warning. Yep. It's exactly. like literally within like five feet, the speed limit drops 30 miles or something. It's just it is, insane. As soon as you get into Scapoose, there's a stretch between this is a stoplight where Fred Meyer's on your left. Right. That's 45, and then the deeper you get into Scapoose, down to 35. Right. So really be careful. And uh, between Scapoose and St. Helens, about seven miles. Um, you know, maintain 55. My yeah. girl, my girlfriend was giving me a hard time once. She was following me home the first time she came out to St. Helens, and she texted me and she goes, "Geez, slowpoke." The very next day, she texts me at work. I got a speeding ticket oh, coming home. It is no, it is just it <laughs> is serious like, business. You know what? I uh, is going to be the third time I've gone to Rockfest, and every time I do the same thing. You get into that, you see the sign, you set the cruise control. Yeah, cruise control is there to keep you from getting a ticket in many cases, and that's what you do there. So, and then when you leave, if you're going to Rockfest tonight, which you should be, uh, when you leave. Uh, the man is everywhere. Yes, they are waiting to take it. And, and you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Those of you who have my contact information, if uh, you Sleep leave Rockfest and if you want to come hang out my place for a bit to chill out or whatever, let's all go. Are you going to Rockfest? Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I'd like to go hang out with all my friends. You know, that's the kind of thing. So. Mm. I'm thinking about it. Sure, I'm just busy reading. I'm considering it. I was just uh, busy reading emails well, I shall be zombie there stuff. Go. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. excellent. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We'll do a few more calls here, then we'll talk about the new Coen Brothers film, which yes, we've sir. seen. Uh, Tim Riley will be back with more news later on. Uh, we will probably do a little high concept Friday before we end things today. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Sarah, Tim. What's up? Hey, I have three of them for you for the zombies. All right. A reanimation of zombies. Okay. A sunseed of zombies. Moving on. And thirdly. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, no, that was good. I didn't see that coming. I've gotten a little more savvy about spotting when the hang-up is about to happen. Uh, that one blindsided me. Well done, sir, wherever you are. I, bastard. I have a suggestion. Yes. Even though it's already been used for whales, though I really like the sound of a pod of zombies. A pod of zombies is creepy. Did they say pod of whales? Yeah. A pod of zombies yeah, is creepy. Like then you think one. of like pod people from uh, from Body Snatchers. You got it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello, is this me? Yes, it is, sir. Hello. Hey, Rick. How about a grip of zombies? A grip of zombies is good. Cool. Has the added advantage of sounding British? Well done. Grip or, of zombies. Or a plethora. Plethora of zombies. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. How about a pinata of zombies? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. This is Oz. Hello. Just wanted to add a shadow. The shadow of zombies is really good. And one quick other thing. Yeah. I realize that the, the Couve is for Vancouver. I'm not sure the Beave works for, for Beaverton. The railroad actually uses Beeberg when talking about Beaverton. Beeberg is stupid. Beeberg? That's dumb. Well, you know what Beeberg sounds like for Beaverton? That Beeberg sounds like a suburban kid trying to make it sound like he lives in some t some tough stretch of the hood. You make a good point. And that's the Beeberg is said by a kid who's sitting there outside the Orange Julius trying to represent to his friends. 
Let me tell you, we do it in Bieber. Seriously. I expect a large, burly railroad engineer to come discuss this with you. Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's Bieber is said by an idiot suburban kid in Beaverton who is uh, trying to like show out for his friends before going to buy some uh, some chain at Claire's. Uh, one more, and then we'll talk about the movie. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. I got a zombie reference. Yes, sir. Uh, a genocide of, jump, of zombies. That may be a little too on the nose, but I'll write it down. Genocide of zombies. I do like, I have to say, I like Shadow of Zombies, though, because it's sort of menacing, you know, and they are they are stealthy in their own moaning kind of way. Something to be said there. Genocide, we'll put it on the list. Thank you, sir. Special ever. Thank you, my friend. All right. Scott Daly. Uh, the Rick new, Emerson. New Coen Brothers film. I talked to, um, I, I was uh, 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 talking to Aaron last night. Now, he's seen it, and he gave me just a little thumbnail because he knew you were going to do the full review. Yes, sir. So this is Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Brad Pitt, George Clooney, John Cohen, Malkovich. Cohen Brothers. It's a Cohen comedy. Cohen Brothers. It's a comedy. Uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, Francis McDormand. Uh, you know, Cohen, two sure. of the Cohen Brothers staples, Clooney and uh, McDormand. McDormand being married to Ethan. So what is this movie about? Uh, stupidity and stupid people. Well, that is <laughs> speak, right speaking of Coen Brothers staples. Was it yeah, entertaining? It was very, very entertaining. Uh, this movie is about basically Brad Pitt and Francis McDormand work in Hard Bodies, a gym in, in, uh, in uh, D.C. And they stumble across some financial data uh, for Mr. Osborne, or Osborne Cox, who is an ex-CIA agent played by John Malkovich. And uh, when they stumble across this CIA document, they decide, hey, let's play a little blackmail, because Frances McDormand has gone about as far as she can with her looks and her body, and she requires plastic surgery. And uh, Brad Pitt is just a vapid physical fitness trainer right. who uh, you know, has the best coiffed hair you've ever seen in your life. He likes to dance to his iPod while he's running on the treadmill. Um, and uh, so they try to blackmail Malkovich, and uh, Clooney plays this womanizer. Um, uh, I believe it's, he, he's a marshal in the film. It kind of gets involved. It's, it's, it's a really kind of a tangled mess of, of intrigue and uh Well, they've been doing that. I mean, that's, that's something they do, even though I often have issues with the Coen brothers. The layered story with a lot of threads is something they do well, and they've been doing it well since Blood Simple. They do it very well, and this film is no exception. It, it, it's funny to see this film because, you you know, last year, No Country for Old Men, which was just a fantastic film. Exceptional. It was very good. Yeah, and just swept at the Oscars and just an amazing piece of work. And then they come back to, kind of, in my opinion, kind of doing what they do best. I would rank this up there with Lebowski, with uh, Raising Arizona, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and the kind of humor and the kind of quirkiness of it. But at the same time, you know, when you go to a Coen Brothers film, let's not forget, they tend to not shy away from the violence. No. And often, often it's very, it's a little shocking. It's like, shocking, oh. and it's, and it's, and Coen Brothers violence is also, um, how do I put this? It's painful violence in the sense that, you know, it's not like uh, you know, it's not like action movie violence where there's a guy machine gunning a room full of terrorists. Right. It. I mean, Coen Brothers violence can sort of be like. I always go back to this, and it makes Sarah cringe. Coen Brothers violence is, in a way, related to the tweezers under the fingernail violence. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Of Twin yeah. Peaks. They do. They you do know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it's. I'm not. I'm no spoilers, obviously, but it's quick and it, it's abrupt, and you're like, oh. Yeah. I mean, oh, no, no country oh, oh. for old men was full of that. Oh yeah. I mean, moments of. Well, whenever you saw Anton Sugar. Well, you know, here, Tim you knew the guy was going to die. Tim got about 12 minutes into that. No country for old men. He was like, thank you, no. Really? It just turned it off. He oh, was wow. like, I can't be watching this. Oh yeah. yeah. I have no desire to see that. Oh, it's, it's, it's a great movie, but there are moments where... I mean, it's not yeah. bloody. The thing about No, no Country for Old Men is... I would say there's almost no blood at all. 
uh, it's just that there are moments of uh, people doing awful things to other people. And you yeah, watch it and go, you could just oh, like, wow. It, it looks, you can it, feel it. It's kind of like the, the, the ear slicing scene in Reservoir Dogs. Where you don't see you it. You don't see it, but you know what's happening. Yeah. It's ugly. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, Burn After Reading is, 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 is the Coen Brothers, I wouldn't say at their finest, but I'll take a bad Coen Brothers film any day of the week over anything else. Really. To, to one question, one comment. Uh, the comment is, Frances McDormand, I would put her in the category of... I don't know, man. She's, I mean, she's not unattractive, but I would say that she's not maybe conventionally beautiful. Mm -hmm. But boy, is she sexy for some reason. I can't really put my finger on why, though. There's something about Frances McDormand. She really is sexy. It's, it's, it's her her quirkiness that that I like, um, and it's the fact that she doesn't try. It's just, it's a natural. That's the thing. Natural. Yeah, she just sort of lets it, lets it be it. Is this um, now? Is this Brad Pitt in this movie anything like Twelve Monkeys? Brad Pitt? No, this is Brad Pitt like you've never seen him before. Okay. He's, he's, he's a dork. I, I guess the closest way I could relate to Brad Pitt in this film for from another role, uh, a recovering Floyd from True Romance. All right. A Floyd who's no longer on the pot. Yeah. You know, I was actually Aaron and I were sharing this thought last night. You know, he's successful and he's iconic and so forth. But I kind of get the feeling Brad Pitt's not too bright. That's just my read on him. I, I get the feeling Brad Pitt's kind of. Kind of, kind of a little, little, little vacuous in, in that. Yeah, maybe a little maybe. bit of a little bit of an echo chamber. In, in that, that case, is. this this role may be the closest to, to the actual Brad Pitt. The there role is, but, he was born to play. He's, he's hilarious. Just like Tara Reid and yeah, um, Josie and the Pussycats. Totally. And, yeah, yeah. and I don't dislike Brad Pitt no, at all. I, I think either. he's a great actor, does great movies. But I do get the feeling that he's a little bit of a blank. Inside. Well, and Clooney. I swear, you know, you got, you oh, got man. Scorsese and De Niro. Clooney and the Coen brothers. I mean, they're they're a match made in heaven. He is so great in this film. His little ticks, his little quirks. Let me say this about about George Clooney. Uh, that and this is I've talked to a, uh, more than one guy who has this sort of thought on George Clooney. And I know that Sarah's not like a bit like you don't find him all that sexy or whatever. George Clooney. George Clooney. Oh, he's very handsome. But but is it, well, who was it? I was thinking of. I thought it was you that didn't didn't think that he was that he was sexy. That you didn't no, see him no. as like a no, I think a sex symbol. No, I think he's very beautiful. Yeah, no, he's. I got to tell you, if, if I could be a guy. If I could turn myself into something yeah. like a currently living other guy, it would be George Clooney. I thought you'd want to be the dude from Mad Men. Uh, Don Draper? Yeah. Well, he's, maybe he's a fictitious character, though. Mm. I mean, if I could become like an actual living, breathing human that currently exists, it would be George Clooney. That's Clooney. true, because all George Clooney does is like like go to the Caribbean, like sunbathe with Seriously. French He models, makes great you know? movies. He's a great director. He's a great actor. I think George he's Clooney. He's tabloids. He's a cool cat. I, I used to say Johnny Depp, but I do believe, and I'm just saying this is my speculation, I do believe that George Clooney may be perfect. I mean, really. Can you think of one thing you can say bad against George Clooney? Not no. his characters, but him as a person? Two words. What? Rubber nipples. That's, that's not his fault. That's not You his can't fault. blame Clooney for Schumacher's sure. sins. He should have argued creative differences. <laughs> I think he was excited to play Batman. Yeah, man. I I gotta, mean, he wouldn't do that today in his career. But I, used to, I remember disliking George Clooney when he was on ER because I was like, oh, pretty boy. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you and your stupid perfect teeth. And <laughs> and, uh, and he was, you know, he was another guy uh, that talked about not wanting to be. He's like, well, I don't really want to be a celebrity. I just want to be an actor. And I was like, you know, F you. Get bent. But then... Uh, and Aaron had pointed this out. You you look flash forward to now, and you know what? George Clooney walked the talk. In other words, he you know he talks about he doesn't want to be famous. He doesn't want to be a celebrity. In other words, he doesn't yeah. want to be paparazzi, whatever. But he doesn't do what a lot of celebrities do, which is leave me alone. And then he makes sure that he's in a place where he can be photographed and then complains about it. George Clooney does not go out and engage in stuff that's going to get him in the tabloids. He keeps a low profile. 
he doesn't go out and involve himself in all kinds of weirdness that's going to get him fo- that's going to get him on the front of the inquirer. I mean, he lives he lives it. He accepts his celebrity. Yeah, but, but you know what? He doesn't he doesn't uh, you know he, he's not a hypocrite about it. No, he's not. So uh, I dig that guy. Yeah, well, you're going to then I think if, with combination of Clooney, Pitt, everybody in this film was fantastic, uh, and it's it, it, this is the second film that they co-directed. Normally, it's, uh, I believe, Ethan who does the... No, it's Joel who does the... one of them writes and one of them directs. They both both edit. They both edit. Do you know they're shooting them for editing? No. Roderick James. Oh, that's right, because they got nominated for an Oscar for that. Right, exactly. Yeah, I still got to get Jeff McGinley's copy of uh, Big Lebowski. It's been sitting in my house for like a year. Have you seen the new new Lebowski DVD set to release? It's a bowling ball. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I know you don't like that. Take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley around the corner. More of your phone calls and High Concept Friday. Stay there. Like us at three, by the way. Don't forget, tomorrow's Cougar football game moved up to today because of the weather in Texas. That'll be today at 4.30, uh, preempting a little bit of the Tom Likas show. Back after this. Don't go anywhere. the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into whimsy and information. Thank you for coming along. It's uh, 503-733-2970, mere moments. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Coming up later on, we'll have High Concept Friday. Like is at 3. Don't forget, because of Hurricane Ike, uh, tomorrow's Cougar football game has been moved till this afternoon. So that'll be uh, on about 4.30 preempting uh, part of Like It. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please draw near as I announce this, the glorious bastard of the week. Is my computer on? It is. Why is it not playing? It's playing over here. Is it playing where you are? Oh, for the love of I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Why does that play? <laughs> because she's in our souls. What sort of Greek punishment is that? <laughs> Seriously. Okay, Scott Daly. Yes, sir. I want your acknowledgement that the Glory Petrid bet is playing. It is playing down to 55 seconds, 54, Do you mean to play 53. Something? Like, there you go. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. Oh, for the love of God. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Do we have something? Well, okay. <laughs> Bobble your head, Rick. Come on. Greetings. Greetings and salutations. Michael Rouches from Hillsborough. You're being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including the Bodyguard double feature on DVD, Bodyguard and Bodyguard 2, starring Tony Ja, available now from Magnolia Home Entertainment. You also won the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are a little bit better than everybody else, and so forth. Enjoy your newly elevated status, and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. Da, 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 da. Thank you for listening. Michael Rauch is from Hillsborough. You are the glorious bastard of the week. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A big fresh fire has closed down I-84 near Hood River. All the lanes are closed after the fire burned both sides of the freeway just west of the town near Jamar Road. Traffic westbound should use the Hood River Bridge into Washington. Eastbound traffic will be routed through the downtown area. 
An extreme fire danger prompts a ban on all outdoor fires, especially in the Couve. No outdoor fires in Vancouver or Clark County. And parents, take those matches and lighters out of the hands of your children. You know they're there. Tim Riley, I have a news question for you. Yes, sir. Why are we having so many fires in the last few weeks? I mean, it's like every day there's a fire story somewhere. Boy, you were just like slipped into TV anchor mode there for a second. I did. I, why are there That's so many fires, Bob? It is, it so is because the ground is dry and people are not watering the grass. That's why. Okay. Is that why? All right. And also, you know. And idiots throw their cigarettes out the window. I was yeah, just going to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's true. And expect somebody else to clean up the mess. That's they right. They really are. Workers at the Houston Museum are trying to keep the first ever dinosaur mummy from being damaged by Hurricane Ike. The dinosaur mummy is part of an exhibit getting ready to open next week. Museum employees are being kept on site 24 hours a day to keep that mummy high and dry. This mummy is called Leonardo. It was first discovered in Montana. It's an important discovery because it allows scientists to create the first reconstruction of a dinosaur accurate from both inside and out. So let me understand. So now God uh, and or evil scientists uh, not only created fossils to challenge the faith of believers, but they have now actually created dinosaur mummies to challenge the faith. That is correct. I thought you said mummy, like, dino, like dinosaur mama, mummy. Don, dino mama. A dino mama. <laughs> All right, here's Tim Riley. Florida. An angry Deltona of Florida. Man whacked his teenage daughter's boyfriend with a metal pipe after finding the boy naked in his daughter's room. Raul Colon didn't even know his daughter had a boyfriend or that the youngster had been sneaking into the home for more than a year. Then he heard some mysterious noises coming from the daughter's bedroom and saw a stranger standing naked on his girl's bed. So he swung a metal pipe. Then he chased the teen out the front door and called police. The boy was taken to the hospital where they closed his head wound with stitches. You know, uh, so speaking of being... I'm sorry, Staples. Being, being hit with, thank you. Being, speaking of being whacked with things, uh, did you see that story about Roger Ebert? I did. Okay, there's. This, I don't remember what happened. They were at the uh, was it the Toronto Film Festival? Can't there's some film festival going on? Toronto's going on right now. Yeah. Toronto. So Roger Ebert, uh, celebrated film critic for the Chicago Sun Times, because uh, he had that salivary gland cancer, can't talk right now. He's got the Stephen Hawking thing going on, uh, but so he's at the movie theater. There's another critic, and I think the guy's from the New York Times, sitting in front of him. Ebert, of course, can't talk. He has no voice box right now. Uh, and, a trick. Uh, yeah, he can't. Uh, he's, uh, so he can't get the guy. So he taps the guy. The guy just says, quit touching me. And Ebert, of course, can't say anything, but the guy's blocking it. So Ebert like taps him again, trying to get the guy to move over. Guy says, quit touching me. Ebert taps him a third time, and then the guy like turns around and whacks him with something. Uh, which is, you know, and so then there's a guy, which is like the worst mistake of that guy's life, because now he is, in fact, beating a voiceless cancer survivor with a blunt object. And the beloved Roger Ebert on top of that. But i got to say this, speaking of the beloved Roger Ebert, so I was reading the story. There's a photo, speaking of zombies, there's a photo that accompanies the story of Roger Ebert that was so horrifying, I actually pulled back from the screen. I did, too. I saw that. I'm looking at it right now. And that's why I could not read the story. Yeah. Not look at the picture. It's best not to look at Roger Ebert these days. It's very sad. I feel bad for him. It's sad. And if I know what he looks like, I mean, if if a fellow critic is hitting him, it's like, how the hell do you not know who Roger Ebert is? It's it's an awful photo. I mean, cancer's bad, kids. All right. That is it for me for now. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest newsman in the history of the world, Tim Riley, back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, top Will of the hour, all the way through Lycus. I'm sorry? Well, I'll be hanging around uh, you're, well, for, you, for various news breaks. You will be here doing your news uh, certainly at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. I know and then, uh, yeah, for... I keep refreshing the WSU football game, and it looks like it's still on. Yes. Well, they might as well, because, I mean, if people are watching Dinosaur Eggs, then they can play football. Yeah, I suppose. So, uh, you know, because in, because in West Texas, football is a religion, Tim. 
That's true, yes. I don't want your life. I don't want your life. You know, uh, speaking of Tim's uh, story about the father bludgeoning the, the, his daughter's yes. boyfriend, um, having a daughter myself, I, I can relate to that story. Yeah, see, I'm so glad I don't have <laughs> kids. only three now. But I don't have to worry about any of that. I, I, know, you know, I know people, they have kids, and God love them, but you know what? You just you can just see the whole road stretching out in front of them oh, where it's just nothing but stress and bankruptcy yeah, forever. I know. So, let's take a break, shall we? <laughs> we'll come back. Uh, around the corner, we'll do High Concept uh, Friday. So my apologies to zombie colors. You know what I mean. Uh, We'll be back after this High Concept Friday. Don't forget, kids, Rockfest happening right now. Gates open at, uh, well, gates are already open. Uh, the whole thing starts at uh, 3 o'clock, 12 minutes from now, including Kid Rock coming up later on the day. Atreyu, Five Finger, Death Punch, and Rehab. Stay there. Back after this. Thanks for not naming her Skyler. Right. Or Cody with an I. All right. Oh. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Coming at, the, uh, at 3, Tom Likas. Uh, Cougar football this afternoon as well. Uh, tomorrow, Miles Around, Sunday Musicology with Timmy Ryan and Kristen Bowie. That's coming up this coming Sunday, 7 p.m. And uh, so forth and whatnot. Uh, coming up next week on the program, uh, we will have the five semifinalists for Rick Emerson's Birth of a Salesman contest. They'll be in the studio. Uh, we'll narrow it down to three and so forth and whatnot. Uh, all right. It is time for High Concept Friday. Uh, we have Rockfest Lucky 13 happening uh, today at Columbia Meadows. Uh, I think it kicks off in, I don't know, five, seven, nine minutes, something like that. Uh, so in honor of Rockfest 13, we will be doing today's High Concept Friday. I say trying to find the bed, being unable to find it. Vamping now as I attempt to locate this music bed to put into the cardomatic to play underneath the calls, which will be about this high concept topic. The loudest concert I ever saw was. That is your high concept topic uh, for today, Friday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. So, Richie, we may need to clean out these calls, uh, much to my uh, shame and undying regret that are on the, uh, on the bank right now. Uh, it is High Concept Friday, so please now to be answering this question. The high, uh, the uh, loudest concert you ever saw was. The loudest concert you ever saw was. It's 503-733-2970 uh, for High Concept Friday. Sarah Dillon? Yes. Loudest concert you well, ever saw you was. Know, you and I discussed this, and we both uh, you know, had to camp with the same one. So there was another equally loud one. I, when I actually went and saw The Killers at the, at the Schnitzer, Honestly, my eardrums rang for... I, I thought I gave myself permanent hearing damage. It yeah. hurt so bad. It was the most fabulous show, but it was super loud. Didn't have my earplugs. Well, and those are it. always... And those are the shows where you realize too late that you don't have your hearing protection with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like you've always... You know, you, well, you have the t- earplugs that are attached to your keychain, right? Uh, I used to, and then I... And then I long story short, I don't anymore, so I lost them at one point. And they were really high-quality uh, earplugs. And then, you know, I always have them with me when I go to see, like, you know, West Side Story, where you don't need them. Uh, and then I, and you know, and then I go to see like, uh, you know, and then I'm going to see, you know, like Carcass or somebody in like a tiny little concrete room. And it's always a show or a concert that you're seeing in a room that is not really designed for loud music, which means they just compensate by turning it up as loud as it will go. And you reach that particular threshold of volume in which it just sounds like a jet turbine has been turned on next to one of your ears. There is no music. There are no notes. There's no melody, no lyric you can discern. It simply is an unholy screeching that is the sound of the inside of your ear being reduced to rubble. So there you go. It is High Concept Friday. The loudest concert you ever saw was. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Two things. First, loudest concert. Absolutely. Let's have one. 
What year? Uh, early 70s. Excellent. Well done. Uh, a stare of zombies. S-C-A-R-E? Yeah, block right. the zombie stare. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll talk to us, Scott Delling, get his input here in just one moment. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. High Concept Friday, the loudest concert you ever saw was. Hi, Rick. Happy Friday. Hello, sir. Uh, it's a toss-up. One, um, oh, the Edgar Winter Group in, in uh, Bowler Gymnasium on the Washington State University campus, 19... 19- 72 or the who replete with both keith moon and john entwistle memorial coliseum 1976 both great shows what is that you're just for? showing off right now no 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 no, no. all true yeah, he's trying to get your william uh, william miller on here all right thank you <laughs> all right scott dally loudest concert you ever saw was kmsdm at the phoenix in seattle that doesn't oh. surprise me actually yeah i could see that talk about you walked in that place man they came on stage that just blew our we were like uh, you know two feet from the stage but still yeah. man oh my god you know that's like a, and i never saw these guys uh but that's like a lot of people who saw ministry yeah on the uh the psalm 59 tour yes. uh, oh. saw at Lollapalooza. i mean I, I know people who saw ministry who had sarah's thing of walking out of there convinced that they had permanent damaged their ears. I, I, I had ringing in my ears till probably the next afternoon. That show was so loud. Uh, it's High Concept Friday. The loudest concert you ever saw was? Uh, that Appetite for Deception at Dominic's uh, we were at. That was pretty loud. Where, where were you sitting relative to this? I mean, not that it matters. It's kind of a small oh, place. I was right behind you. Oh, yeah, so see, they, that was, I mean, and I actually stayed for, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 minutes, and then it's that thing of, again, you can sort of feel your, your cilia just being uh, turned into powder, so you gotta you got to leave. I was jamming napkins to my ears. I've done that, actually. <laughs> I, I do that at, at every show, basically. Well, I've done that. Where, I've done the thing where I realized I had one of those bad, spongy earplugs, and I've torn it in half, you know, and jammed them in, realizing I'm going to lose it inside my ear canal, but that's preferable to losing all my hearing. All right, thank you, sir. High Concept Friday, uh, the loudest concert you ever saw. Hello. Uh, I saw Tool and Pantera at Red Rocks in Ooh. Colorado in 1996, I believe. Red that certainly Rocks. counts. That's awesome. I saw Pantera in a tiny club in Spokane on the vulgar display of Power Tour. And again, wasn't even a club so much as it was just a room made out of cement. And I actually had to walk outside at certain points because I felt like I was going to be sick. It was so loud. So, excellent. Well done, sir. Thank you. High Concept Friday. Uh, the loudest concert you ever saw was? The worst one. Yes? High, high Concept. The loudest was the worst. All right. A, that's a sentence fragment. B, it makes no sense. Goodbye. <laughs> hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Loudest concert you ever saw was? Uh, Nirvana had the breeders open up for them years ago, and it was so loud that my pants were vibrating off of my skin. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, uh, and I'm serious. It was, it was that or the ACDC ball breaker. Uh, that was just ridiculous. I, uh... ACDC I saw with L.A. Guns a long time ago, and they did that thing at For Those About the Rock where they fired the oh. cannon, and it was like it was caving in my thorax. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Rick. Later. Do you remember how loud Motorhead was at uh, the, uh, in Seattle? Okay, can I just, let's, let's just say this. Yours, are right? we done now? Where, where, where are we That's time-wise, Sarah? Starting the music right now. All right, let me just say, Sarah and I had this discussion yesterday. So you're saying Motorhead, yeah. and Sarah and I independent of each other yesterday when we were like, loud, we're like, what should the high concept be? And I said, loudest concert, and Sarah and I both immediately went, Motorhead. Like at the same time. And I know, I know yeah. probably five or six other people who are like, Motorhead hurt my internal organs. And at the Kingdom, too. Yeah. Which is loud. Yeah, Motorhead, they, yeah, they show up to ruin you. All right. Uh, we want to thank Scott Dowley from FilmFeverRadio.com. We want to thank Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, CNN Radio Correspondents, James Rube, Lisa Desjardins, and Steve Kastenbaum 
Uh, like us next. Don't forget Cougar Football today, 4.30. Uh, we have uh, Musicology Sunday night, 7 to 9. Back on Monday, 10 a.m. for the recap, 11 for the show. Rick Emerson, show producer today and every day for the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon for AM 970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim, Fi- uh, Tim Riley and the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in. Webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, Director of Engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio, Portland Marketing Guru, Susan Donat with me, Reynolds. Be safe. See you all on Monday. Bye now. Happy mom from Alaska. Jesus is the friend of mine.